0: aboard the soul train for the next oh i don't know one hour two hours three hours four hours uh myself and my team of cohorts who i also lovingly are going to be hosting our favorite show thirsty thursday Dom, dum 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 and uh, so just to kind of kick this off, we have an extra special guest. So, you know, we like to talk about uh, some complex topics from time to time, but we also thought it would be interesting to talk about some not so complex topics and cover what we are going to uh, lovingly deem just the basics, right? Uh, because in, in I, the, the, I'll kind of tell you a little bit of inspiration for this, and it even cycles back into today, today, right? I've talked to people from all across the United States at different forms of fashions, even, even lawn care professionals sometimes. And, and a lot of times we get so caught up in what is trendy or we get so caught up in what is a meme or whatever the case may be that oftentimes we overlook the basics. And so it's important from time to time to go back and take that bit of a refresher and analyze things um, uh, from a different point of view. Because once you kind of move on a little further in your lawn care career or journey and then you go back and you revisit the basics, you pick up things that you weren't necessarily um uh, Uh, open to or aware of or uh, that you didn't really comprehend all that well. So anyway, that's a lot of talking. Our special uh, guest today is going to be Nick, also known as Greek Geek on The Lawn Care Life. And with me, we have our... How's it going, Nick? How are you? Good, sir. Good, good. I'm
1: doing good. Thank you.
0: All right. Excellent. We've been hanging out in the show before the show. And if you're wondering what the show before the show is, you can go to Twitch that TV 4 slash the grass factor. And, uh, and about 7 o'clock, we come on there and talk. But, but our extra special group of leaders here we have. We're going to start with Mr. Demay up here at the top right. Ryan, how are you? Good, sir. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why in the hell are you on my
2: feed? Well uh i don't know i don't know why i'm here well I, okay yeah uh i'm here one to support uh this movement here so you know if you're into that kind of thing take a look take a listen <laughs> uh so what do i do i am uh an owner uh, of a uh consulting company that specializes in uh very high ultra high end turf uh, including sports fields uh private estates things of that nature and so um I've been in golf prior to this, so I was in golf for 16 years before this, and so worked my way all the way up to a superintendent at a nice private course uh, here in the Midwest. And so I've seen a lot of things. I've killed a lot of grass, and in doing so, I've learned a heck of a lot. And as you said and so eloquently put, getting back to the basics is something that I think uh, we all should intend to do uh, and endeavor to do here more frequently. Now, the only thing that I do have a gripe about tonight is that this might be one of the few times I've ever seen Matt Martin not wearing a button down, in which case you gotta, you gotta get me a V neck or something, dog. Cause I got it. Yeah. You gotta pull
0: it down. Look, just, this is, this is old school here. This oh. is uh this is a, a bow nose turf t-shirt. And uh, can, for can, anybody, anybody that's viewing right now that doesn't know the story of bow nose turf, let me tell this. So now I used to host this radio show, right? And, um, there was a day, and I'll. I'll There's a bit of a prerequisite to talk about why this whole thing got started, but there was a day I woke up and uh, I had been called by uh, the legal team of a company called Site One Landscape Supply, right? And basically, this guy told me that uh, he he had so much money at his disposal he could spend me um, either out of business or into jail or whatever idle threats that he was making and uh, and that you know he reassured me that he promised um, they are pro small business. However, I needed to uh, change everything I did as a small business to suit them as a big business. Right? Anyway, I was pretty hot about that. And, uh, so when I got onto the radio, I started playing, um, I was Rage Against the Machine. I I don't even remember which song it was, but I was playing Rage Against the Machine. Someone wrote to my radio boss and said, Matt is a drunken buffoon on the air and I am a potential advertiser and I would never advertise on your station as long as you have such an idiot anti-police buffoon on the air. Something along the lines of that. He's a drunk idiot. Well, unfortunately, the guy used his real name and his email and contact information and I knew the guy. I like, I knew the guy personally. and uh, And so... Anyway, since he threw shade at me, I thought it would only be fair to return the favor. Uh, And so I put the guy on absolute blast in the most public way I could, in the most immature way I I, I could. And I felt really good about it. And I slept great at night. And to commemorate that, I started a new segment on the show called Bo Knows Turf. And, And because the guy didn't really know turf all that well. Uh and uh and so we would play this kind of like clown uh circus show music and, and I would go, <laughs> turf And Turf. Uh, and then I would tell some random old wives tale about the industry. And to even take it one step further, because that's not humiliating enough, uh, I went ahead and I made t-shirts. Uh and so I made a series of bono shirts, t-shirts, and used a vegetable clown and uh and of course the the bow the bono's turf. And uh, and boy, it was have us a lot of fun, so anyway, that's the history there. That's why I'm wearing a Bono's turt t-shirt It's dirty right now because i've got I've got uh stains from work on it, but you know, it was a good time. Ray, why are you on my damn feed?
3: I'm on your damn feed because <laughs> number one, I've been in the turf grass industry for literally thirty years, and no, well, I've also killed some some grass, but most of the time I'm involved in maintaining what's considered fine turf. Nothing I take care of, with the exception of say a couple of Saint Augustine lawns, is kept at a height above three quarters of an inch. And it's true I even have turf that I am in charge of that goes all the way down to one tenth of an inch. Point one inches. So oh and one more little thing to throw out there. Uh many of you know that Matt stalked me in the past. So in order dun, for him dun, to quit dun. stalking me so in order for him to quit stalking me, I just agreed to come on the show and that way he has open access. No creepiness or stalking required.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right? That was that was a good time in my life. That was me trying to find my way in the world. Uh, uh, uh post post collegiate catastrophe of a career there. So thank you, uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being on the air. Much appreciate it. And our guest of honor today is Mister Greek Geek himself, Nick. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Where are you at? Tell us about your lawn journey. Are you on social media or any of that fun stuff? Let's get to know you, the human being, before we dissect and destroy your lawn.
1: Um, I work in IT field uh, for an insurance company. Um, the last place I was at, I was a systems architect, uh, but I mainly focus on data systems, database stuff. So Some real um, nerd stuff. Yeah, for sure. Not grass. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I've got a Tiff Grand lawn. Um, it seems to be getting smaller and smaller as time goes by, but I'd like to make it. I'd like to get the grass to spread out more, but I seem to be losing some of it. Um, right now, it's about eight thousand square feet of like maintainable grass. So um, the uh, the lawn was put down like. Or the sod was put down like six years ago. My, um, I grew up my grandfather. He's a superintendent. Um, I spent a lot of time on on golf courses with him. Um, I guess that's why I I've put the time into the lawn so far. Um, and he he was living with me um for a while, and uh he he definitely grew was here grew in, grew in the sod. The first two years it was down it grew great. Um, cut it real short, top dressed it a lot. Um, he. He mainly or he definitely made all the decisions as far as what to apply and when, and I didn't really pay that much attention. I'm kind of regretting that now. Um He still comes over, but he's he's older, he's in a lot worse health than he was. So he can't really do much physically and even mentally, he's not as sharp as he used to be for sure. Um so I've I've kind of taken more of an interest into uh, learning more about how to manage the, the grass myself than I ever have before. So um Well
4: thank you
0: Thank you for joining us and stepping out on a limb. Uh, I know it's. It, 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 I would say for a lot of people that our, our, our primary viewership typically uh, uh, revolves around people that are that are pretty far into their lawn care career or uh, their lawn care journey, and so it's it's always fun for me to uh, come back to someone who's relatively green to it, right? Uh, who has enough experience to become wildly interested in it and uh, but doesn't really know exactly where to start and unfortunately if you don't know where to start uh, tuning in to us for the first time is probably uh, a bit like uh, smashing your face into your keyboard Um, so this is a great opportunity for all of us to kind of step back slow down and uh, and come back to the fundamentals of of agronomy you know kind of agronomy 101 right and and turf grass 101 and lawn care 101 and what it means to uh to to be able to apply that to individual situations especially like you said so a little bit about what i know of you is um you are in uh the southeast um and i believe in the south carolina area So uh, for those of you that are in here from the South Carolina area, this is someone that you can definitely relate to and not to say that everything that's going to apply to him is going to apply to you, but it at least could give you a starting point of source on how to tackle things. So with that all kind of out of the way let's uh let's kind of let's kind of jump into this here and and get going where we're going uh jp if we could if we could start with a soil test and kind of take a look at things and wrap our brain around what's going on oh this is okay here we go this is not what i would consider a typical south carolina soil test
1: look yeah, at we this changed the, the dirt uh before we put the saw down a lot did you really oh, um so basically yeah we took out like put. 12 inches, um, and put a bunch of drainage style in it, like we would a green when we built greens on the golf course, um, and then backfilled it. Now this is one thing. Sometimes me and my grandfather will, like be at odds on stuff, but now I, I kind of have to go with him. He definitely has a lot more experience than I do. On the golf course, we used uh, like gravel in the in the drainage channels, and then um, sand in the greens, like a good say 6 to 12 inches on top. Um, but in our yard. Uh, we didn't use sand. Um, we used like a much more organic. Um, it's like half chicken poop. It's like black dirt. Um, came from like a local supplier. It's totally different than what we use on the, on the golf course. My grandfather felt like it would be better for the grass long term. So that's what we threw down there is like a good four to six inches of this really rich black poop dirt. <clears throat> um and then we, we top dressed a good bit on top of that. So there's some some uh good bit of sand in there too at this point. And a lot of lot of drainage style. Oh, that was the other thing. Instead of using the like the slotted drainage style like we did in using greens in the past. Um my grandfather was really big on the it's like a, a product called easy flow It's like um it's the drainage tile slotted pipe, but it's wrapped in a sock with peanuts. So it meant that we didn't have to we didn't have to use the gravel, I guess. Um, so we did that here whereas we did that on the course on any of the courses we worked on um, that was that was a lot different for me but we did run that kind of all over the place here before, underneath the sod or before the dirt on top of this underneath the sod or so that that stuff is different than uh than the, uh, the other yards in the neighborhood and stuff in most residences hmm.
2: Where where all those drains fall to then Nick, do they have? Do, is there like an outfall? Do they dump to the yeah. street or some like a dry well or something or what? So,
1: um there is there's a, a large dry well, and this is some of the pictures too. Um, there was a large dry well. Um, actually, there's yeah, I've got it opened up right there in that picture. Um, the the dry well is actually about eight feet deep, and that's another NDS product. It's like NDS Flow Well, and you like stack them on top of each other. um Originally that, cause that was the low part, low point in the yard. And we first moved in here before we regraded anything before we took it down. Um, there was water, standing water all the way across the yard, right? Right about where that's at horizontally all the way across. And so that was why we knew we needed to focus on drainage here. Um, and we probably, and I have a tendency to kind of go overkill with stuff. So after we got started with the drainage and that's, that's at the top of the backyard, that's kind of to, to prevent some of the water from coming in the yard because the water's coming off the adjacent property. So it's like a big ditch there. The ditch was sufficient for a long time. And then I got tired of going out every year and clearing the ditch. So I just took more of the easy flow and and threw it down the ditch. So I don't have to worry about if the ditch gets stuff in it. I know there's still a void there for the water. And that runs down to a culvert that's on the far end. Yeah, um, this uh, dry well, originally the idea was that uh, maybe that would be sufficient. We didn't didn't consider is underneath the dry well as just clay. You know, it's like most places in the south, and the clay is like it's watertight, basically. So the water has nowhere to go. There's a lot more water coming in and a good rain than than we have space in the dry well, even though it's like eight feet deep. Um, that We put a sump in there, like a sump pump, and it pumps, there's a pipe you can see there on the fence, pumps down the pipe and into a, a large drainage pipe. It's like an 18-inch wide Corrugated pipe that's buried in the backyard goes across the way and like go around to the end of the neighborhood to a retention pond. Um, <clears throat> so that gets the water out via the sump pump. And it works great as long as the sump pumps are running. See and here, right here is, um, this is what happens when you put a sump, I put the sump pump in the dry well and just like NDS kind of recommends and covered the dry well over, read it all, didn't think nothing else of it, it was running fine, but then one day, the sump pump sump pump just dies. And so I uh, had to crack it open, open it up, and I'm in the process of like dry well sump pump surgery here. Oh, and, oh, yeah. And to make matters worse, you see on the side here is like some irrigation going on. The water main that feeds the irrigation had a slow leak over there for a long time. I didn't realize it until mm. one it just broke clean finally. And so that was like just filling up Ooh. the dry well. And that's what ultimately killed the sump pump. Just burned it up because there was so much water just constantly going in there. I didn't notice it. So that's that story. Sorry.
2: No, that's a great, no, seriously. I, 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 you know, I always uh, enjoy talking to folks and this is good. It's kind of like this full circle part, right? Where um, Matt mentioned, you know, people that are in the beginning of that lawn care journey or near, near the beginning and people that are related to or know very well, particularly golf course superintendents, right? Cause like, this group is probably some of the most prideful people and working their way out of whatever situation or, or just taking like this, like, Hey, somebody's backyard, like, yeah, uh, you know what? Like, yeah, we could just sit here and push all this, you know, shitty dirt around and, and, you know, throw some sod over top of it, but you know what, we're going to make it right. We're going to, we're going to do this and do that and add all these layers of, you know, you could call it complexity, but at the same time it's removing Right. Or mitigating risk, you know, down the road of, again, water always standing in your backyard. Right. Or, um, you know, things of that nature. So kudos to your grandpa. Kudos to you for, um, you know, letting him take the wheel and, and and show you around the neighborhood a little bit when it comes to uh, <laughs> the turf. That's good. That's good. I know I'm going to enjoy the rest of this now, having seen this. So you brought, the, you brought up one go ahead.
1: part about where the where the water goes out. Um originally just kinda because I think it's like more typical, the we're gonna send the water out uh the front yard just uh with like a I forget what you call it, but like a curb hole, basically. Just pump have yeah. the water go straight curb out. Curb cut, yep. Well yeah, so we're in the middle of doing that and um I even like made the, the curb puncture um penetration myself. In the middle of doing that and then the HOA comes by and they're like, No, we're not okay with that. We don't want you to run any of the water from uh, the backyard that's coming off. They, they have a lawsuit against the guy in the adjacent property, it turns out. I didn't know anything about it. Mm. Um, we don't want you to put any of his, any of his water into our throat. That's uh, very important. So then I had to come up with that solution with the 18-inch pipe and all that stuff in the backyard. It goes down to the end of the road, into the retention pond.
2: That's so it hardcore. It got more
1: complicated. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But you solved it right, and a lot of times people just throw in the towel and be like, "Ah, screw it, whatever." And then you know it's a freaking uh, bird bath in their backyard every time that you know it rains, or you can go out there and you know take a leak in the backyard and it probably puddle up if you hadn't done anything the right way. So, kudos to you on that one. I'm I'm interested. Go, Jay Pink, if you can go back to that soil test. So, you mentioned chicken poop and. Again, you know, take all these numbers and divide them in half for you folks scoring at home to get your parts per million here. And I don't know if it says. So this million soil million test million million is million. for the front. Okay. Oh, this is the front. Okay. Now, did you do anything to the front, this... Nick? Like uh, soil-wise? Yeah.
1: Um, we... Okay. Soil-wise so it's the, it's the same, same poop, just a thinner layer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> thinner layer of poop on the front. Good Good deal. Yeah. Good to know it. Okay.
0: Uh, uh, uh Ryan, who? Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, before we kind of jump into this, it's now I'm I'm being brought back. I was just listening to a show the other day. Uh, what is Dave Wilbur's uh handle? Uh, the uh, turf
2: grass zealot. The,
0: the turf grass zealot, Dave Wilbur. Okay, you know he uh, he did a show the other day that we did not need another uh turf grass expert. You know, and it was it was a a, a facetious approach to. Um, how when he came out of college, how ill prepared he was for all the different facets of turf grass management, right? Like that, you know, you didn't pick up from ag mathematics that you didn't pick up from ag economics or whatever the case may be. And a lot of that would would even fall into the category of construction, right? and how versed you have to be at construction in order to be a golf course superintendent, you know, whether that's designing drainage or designing an irrigation system, you know? And so, you know, I, I just, I bring that up to say that we came into this from purely from the agronomic perspective, we may be starting, uh, at a, uh, at, at an entry level. However, on the other aspect of agronomy, right, which is managing the conditions in which your turf is growing, uh, we're obviously starting at a very advanced stage uh, because of the the type of, of drainage and effort and uh, uh, even soil swapping that has gone on here is not for the faint of heart. And it, it took a lot of time, dedication, hard work. Uh, and th- it's very clear that a significant amount of experience went into that as well. So yeah, kudos to you for, putting that level of effort into that because most people just don't have that piece of it alone. Uh, but clearly, clearly you do.
1: I do, I do got to throw this in here because it ties right in with that. Um, I was talking to my grandfather about it earlier today. So we worked on, co- or he worked on courses when I was younger, and he always took jobs where I could be there with him. So I spent many a day on, like on the back of the fairway mower, while he's running the mower down the fairway, cutting the grass day in, day out. In um, his like, if it was raining, I was stuck in his office reading Toro catalogs. I mean, I just spent a lot of time with him <laughs> when I was younger. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he raised me. I, I, I should have thrown that in the, that in there to begin with. Um, <clears throat> on those earlier courses, they were bigger. Um, there's a lot more going on. Like he would um, say, he would renovate half the course at a time, right? In those situations, he'd bring in other companies to like do the irrigation. It was drainage problems. There's somebody specialized in drainage. Um, even sometime for some of the equipment stuff, if it was too much to manage in house, they'd have somebody, uh, come in and pick it up, take it, fix it, and bring it back. Like there's all these other external options, right? <clears throat> what really kind of blew me away is after doing that like that for like 20 years of my life, he was even doing it for a while before I was born, but me watching him do it for 20 years when I was about, I guess it was about 20, a little young, I guess maybe a little younger, 17. Um. He took a different kind of job where he built uh, not a not a full-size course, but literally started with, like, un- uncleared land, took down the trees, the whole nine yards, and built a par three. And, like, then all those things, the budget was real tight. So then all those things that in the past I've seen him kind of contract out, we did it all uh, between ourselves, like us and, like, four other guys. It was very impressive to me to like all those things that I thought were maybe too detailed or more technical for him. Like he had either already knew or picked up those things along the way enough to where we went to this other place. And we pulled it off and everything came together. We went from having trees and no golf course to having a golf course within 12 months. Like it was, it kind of blew me away. That's that's one thing you were talking about. Those other skills, those other things you pick up on the course that you have to deal with. Even stuff like maintaining the equipment and stuff has come up lately for me. Um, and I talked to him about it. Like, he knows all about it. And I'm like, where would you learn that? He was like, do you learn that in turf, in turf school? Because so he went to like 4 Georgetown Tech. for got a kind of turf degree. <clears throat> and he's like, no, we didn't talk about lawnmowers in turf school. As far as how to you know backlap them and take care of them. So I was like, where would you learn it? He's like, well, we just you know read about it. And you got to do it. You got to take care of yourself. You don't want to continue to have to pay other people for it. You know, just learn it. Wow!
2: No lie, I call that, that uh, is it's dormant badassness. That's what I call it because you just sit there <laughs> and you learn, sure. learn, 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 and then someday somebody hands you a piece of land, bulldozer, and says, "Hey, build this golf course," and you just erupt with badassness, right? You just—that's uh, just the way it goes, and that's the kind of people. And I, you know, I, I'm only in this industry. It's the only industry I've ever been in my life. I don't know of other ones that are like that where you just have to learn it, learn it, learn it, learn it, and then compress it and just do it sometimes. Right. And, and not use help or not, you know, but he had resources though. That's the thing I think the most successful people in industry and not to get too far off topic here, but in, and even on the homeowner side or the DIY side is the group, you know, the, the core group that's watching this right now or that we interact with, you know, for the most part has built a good network of resources, right, in which to, hey, maybe you're not going to do it for me, but you've done it a time or two or maybe a dozen times or a hundred times. And I'm just going to ask you about it. I'm going to pick your brain as long as you'll let me pick your brain and get a whole bunch of information and then go try and do it myself so I can learn it, right? And I think that's the nice thing about our our industry is that there ain't no secrets. The people that think they have secrets and are gatekeepers and things like that, man, those are just, Those aren't real. Those people are fake as hell. Just they are. They're just fake as hell. And so you got to watch out for those folks. But, um, you know, the other side that you didn't mention on the golf side that I always found interesting. And it really, I didn't think about it until you just said it, right? Because you didn't say it. And then I thought about it. (laughs) That didn't make any sense at all. But the people management. So like in golf and Matt would tell you this and Ray would tell you this, the hardest thing, you know, you got all these things, all these variables you can't take care of, handle whatever. You got to have contractors come in and help you, or you need resources to back you up. You still got to manage your staff, right? You got to train them. You got to teach them. You got to coach them. You got to manage expectations. Well, people be like, well, you know, Hey, I don't have a staff at home, right? Well, maybe you have your kids and you got to manage them and they're helping you out. Or, you have a spouse that you have to manage expectations to. Those are your members, like you're working at a country club, right? And that's that's more work than it is, you know, setting up and doing all the, the shit you got to do on a lawn sometimes. It's just managing their expectations and catering to their whims. But you got to do it, right? And you learn how to maneuver and, and handle all those politics of something that uh, somebody doesn't necessarily care about. But they know it means a lot to you and you've got to just, you know, find your way. And so, I don't know. It's just interesting how you uh, had that upbringing. I don't know. I, I just have a lot of appreciation, a lot of respect for somebody who saw it externally and didn't go into it, kept themselves, you know, removed enough to stay out of it and go a different direction. And God bless you for for doing IT and not choosing this as a career path because it's uh, it's a tough road to hoe sometimes. But uh, it's an interesting proposition. So, Ray, what what do you think? You kind of had sort of that uh, relationship, right, with your grandfather, and I don't know about so much on turf exclusively, but wasn't there some kind of connection there for you?
3: Actually, my grandfather was a farmer and basically a trailblazer for Hawaii because he basically showed me a different way for land management uh that i never thought possible i mean my grandfather was the original terminator basically because
2: (laughs) (laughs) have you seen this boy
3: (laughs) (laughs) well actually grandfather was the type where watch this this will be dead tomorrow mark my words (laughs) and sure enough it you know he you know he was true to his word stuff would die and it would uh, make a big impression on me because not only would it die it would also stay dead for up to a year and this was back in the 1980s that i saw this so he was getting this done before we got into the golden age of all of this modern science and chemistry so he had kind of an influence on me and I'm grateful to it because I know the old stuff I also know the new stuff and a lot of times I'm looking back and thinking my goodness if grandfather saw some of the modern things that I." have to work with it would be grandfather that would be you know having a stroke <laughs> he'd be the one having the stroke
1: so there have definitely been some read? things that i've i've taken from the discord discussions i've taken them back to my mm-hmm. grandfather to ask him about it and it's totally floored him Not just because it's different than what he learned I mean, I mean i guess it goes to figure that like just like any other field of study or science you know things evolve mm-hmm. right but we we're talking about overseeding, and we had always overseeded uh, with an annual rye, specifically because it would die um, mm-hmm. die off on its own. And somebody in the Discord, it's been a little while now, was talking about perennial rye or overseeding with perennial rye and then spraying it away. Um, you know, when the when it warms back up. And, um, I asked him about the perennial ride, and he's like, "Oh no, that'd be the worst thing. You'll never get that out of the Bermuda. It'll it'll, it'll ruin you, it'll ruin you." <laughs> and then I basically um I was trying to explain to him that i learned about these products on the Discord and there's stuff you can select that it'll kill it, you know, and make make room for the Bermuda to come back out in the spring. No problem. He's like, "I've never seen it like that. I didn't know." So there's definitely a lot of stuff that's changed. Um the kind of it does floor him, like like you're talking about.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, I think what it is is that I bring with me the, I guess, some of the old mentality, Nick, you know, I I, I bring some of the old mentality with me, and uh, that's where people, you know, they work with me, they know me, and they... They tell me they've never seen anybody approach this kind of work the way I do. Because I'm essentially a throwback to the 1970s and the 1980s. For all intents and purposes.
5: A lot of Doc, stuff was Doc back didn't now. go to Woodstock.
0: He, he was growing grass. He was too busy cool. growing grass to do
2: Woodstock. He was actually Which Magnum PI's uh, technical advisor on how to get laid <laughs> in Hawaii. Tom Selleck learned everything he knew from Ray.
1: <laughs> I do gotta set this up. Uh, I'll Ray, find him over it. There's been more than once when I was about to apply something to the to the lawn that was probably not gonna go well. I didn't realize was not gonna go well, and I've just put it out there in the Discord just to like put it out there and wait, you know, an hour to see if anybody has anything to say about it more than once Ray has kept me from like killing the lawn. Like that, that's happened. I, I thought the first time I thought, wow, that was really, really, really good. He helped me out there. It's happened like three times at least. I was about to spray something that probably wasn't going to go over well and raise me like, oh, no, you shouldn't do it because it's like this. And again, I mean, it always makes sense when he, when he explains it, but, like it's stuff that I didn't even consider. So I really appreciate that. Ray. Thank you.
3: Well, I mean, I'm just, uh, Trying to keep people to do from doing some of the things that I've done. You see, no doubt. Here, no, me too. Here's a learn. Yeah, here's a learning experience. Is in the 1990s. I remember frying some lawns, and you know why I remember frying them. The next month, I was out there with a flat shovel scraping up all the dead grass so that the lawn can be
1: resorted.
4: <laughs> I'll say this. <laughs> she had a my phrase grandparents mower. have
1: a story. Oh yeah. My grandparents have a story about one time my grandmother helped my grandfather spray the greens and how a couple mm-hmm. of them didn't make it. As um, before I was born, like when they were still younger, but um, she's never lived it down. They still talk about it today. So That's like 40 years ago or something. <laughs> yikes
2: yeah well let's uh uh,
0: go ahead going back to your soil test here uh let's take a look at this and and in your number one issue with your lawn right now what is it
1: oh i don't that's i guess i should have thought about that question really if i had to nail down a number one issue right now i can't find uh a decent mower, like at the price range that I'm looking for. That's you know, I know that's not really what you're, you're talking about like, agronomics, probably, but um, I guess mowing is kind of I don't know. But um, these weeds uh in the backyard seem to be particularly bad this year, and it's never been great back there. Uh, well, when my grandfather was managing it, there were no weeds in the backyard. He kept the thing cut real short. We had like a crappy greens mower. He made it work anyway. I don't know how he did it. Um. he didn't even spray that much herbicide and there, there weren't very many weeds back there but um he got sick and um was like in a place for a while and then now he's like living a mile away comes over every day gives a lot of advice but he's not physically like out there applying stuff he's just not healthy enough to do that um and so I'm trying to handle it and I'm obviously not doing as good with it as he used to do i will say this too i let it go for a couple years like actually more like three years like after he moved out i was kind of overwhelmed with it and um i literally just like cut it i I don't know maybe inch and a half two inches high and didn't (laughs) apply hardly anything and i I don't have time for that i was working a lot too um so it's kind of coming back from that so i guess I'm, i'm trying to trying to bring it back to what it was before um i know this after it starts growing, like it grows real good. And so there are a lot of bare spots and places where I know like at the end of the summer last year they it was covering most of that. So I'm pretty sure this year it'll cover most of that again. Um I've had some issues recovering from poanna in the front yard, had like real bad poanna. Um probably oversprayed some masquin there too much. Um something kept the grass from coming out of dormancy um at its you know like it normally would um, basically i compare it to a couple of common bermuda lawns there in the neighborhood and um i was about a month behind them so it was either mm. too much Masquin, i know uh i over applied meslin as well um I, yeah i need i gotta work on applying just you know what's direct by the label so <laughs> but it's slow, slow coming out of dormancy there's some spots you can see from from all the plant that died off in the backyard, I mean, I pulled an enormous quantity of dandelions. Just literally, just went out there and pulled them up one at a time. Um, like two wheelbarrowfuls. I didn't even know there could be Jeez. that many back there. Um, and so there's there's a lot of stuff like places where the Bermuda is not growing, either it's growing thinly or not at all, and all is just there was that much weeds that are dying off or are dead. Um, yeah, right here on the right. In this picture on the right hand side, um, you can see where it's like really patchy. Those were like just nothing but dandelions right in there. Um right matter of fact, the dandelions for some reason grow right over where the drain is actually um underground. So um I don't know if there's a correlation or if that's just maybe the dandelion seeds flow down there from the runoff as the water's coming down. I don't know, but um they grow right in there real bad. Um back there in the back corner, there's a pretty bare patch. There used to be like a dog kennel and stuff back there. The dog died like a year and a half ago, so that's not really a thing. It's grown over. I'll say, seventy-five percent of the space that was totally bare from the kennel and the dog and stuff has already grown over with grass last year. So I'm hoping that this year, maybe I'll get the rest of that space grown in. You know, if, if it keeps growing like it was, I will. Um, yeah, I guess just as the spots from the the weeds and See, it's a little gray still. It's like still a little brown, almost like there's still. I mean, there is still some dormancy, dormant grass going on. I guess maybe I'm impatient. I want it to come, you know, to be green like uh, like it is when it's grown full speed. But I'm sure that'll probably just happen with time. But I want an idea of what to apply when. Uh, that, I guess that's uh, and that that was what I reached out to you, Matt, for uh, originally. So basically, I just want an idea of um. I, I mean, I know just based on well, what little I don't know. The the potassium and the phosphorus on the lawn have been at the levels they are on that soil test for six years now, ever since we put down the crap dirt. Um, And and I never put down anything with P or K in it. Like I don't, I only use fertilizers that are big number zero zero. Um, So (laughs) if it's up to me, you know, left to my own devices, I'm putting down like 30 something zero zero, um, like two pounds a month maybe even a pound and a half every two weeks, something like that. And uh, I know I've learned on the Discord, like, that's too much nitrogen, right? So I need to figure out, like, uh, maybe if I can come up with just the outline of a plan of, you know, how much nitrogen when so I don't put too much down, that'd be good. Um, There's some pictures we haven't got to yet that are um, some centipede grass that really drives me crazy. Um, where it's like encroaching from the adjacent lawn, and uh, I'd really like some advice on that too.
2: Gosh, Ray Ray's gonna just want to murder this stuff, right, Ray? <laughs> pretty much. Can hear can hear you, can hear you sharpening your knife. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yep. Uh, because your soil test actually doesn't look that. I mean, you know, it nutrient-wise, you're pretty good. And the only thing that I would tell you at this point is, I remember having a conversation with you about fertilizers that are high in chlorides to disadvantage the centipede. Been I'm going to I'm going to take it up on, I'm going to take it up a notch, and. I'm even going to suggest that you deliberately salt the soil a little bit for the centipede. And when I say deliberately salt it, I'm thinking like five pounds of salt per 1,000 square foot where the centipede is uh, particularly aggressive. Wow.
0: That's bananas.
3: Like sodium chloride salt? That's crazy. Sodium chloride, <laughs> exactly. And gentlemen, um, just take a we, moment
0: to, to revere that we have just entered a new threshold where we are spreading uh, sodium chloride as a matter of uh, uh, centipede control. So um, we have
2: reached that point. Thank you, Ray. Continue. It's, it's, it's yeah. IPM. IPM.
3: No, oh, and the reason why I, I'm I'm going there is because I heard that you had Tifgrand, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, sir.
3: Okay. I also know what TIFGRAND will do if you hit it with high rates or repeated applications of quinclorac. Because if somebody has, say, zoysia grass or a non-hybrid Bermuda, I normally tell them to start hitting the centipede contamination in their lawn with a combination of 2,4-D ester and quinclorac and keep doing it until the centipede turns black and dies. But that's not an option for you because if you do hit your tifgrand with that quinclorac, you're probably going to stress the tif grand as much as or more than you're going to stress the centipede. So I, I'm kind of thinking, what causes the least amount of harm to the Tif Grand? And in fact, here in Hawaii, I know that tifgrand doesn't get bothered by a little bit of saltwater intrusion or salt spray coming off of the ocean. It'll put up with it. It'll take it. It'll probably take it a lot better than hammering it with quinclura.
0: <laughs> we
2: got a little seasonal past Balam experiment going here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just want to know when we're going to start seeing people. Now that you said that, Ray, I'm counting down the hours until people are selling season salt on lawn YouTube to try and take out <laughs> centipede. What about Himalayan Can't use regular mortens. That's my favorite. Yeah, you know, just a regular sea salt's not going to get a ton. You're going to have to do that Dead in the Or salt. smoked, smoked salt. Ooh. You know? Yeah. yeah. All the salt. Yeah.
1: Now, what about kosher salt? Would that be. That that have we, yeah, impact? yeah. You know, kosher, I don't kosher. I, 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 Yeah. Kosher we'll, we'll salt a, would a, probably a be pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> However,
3: going, you know, getting serious here, your other option on centipede grass. Is one that's very expensive, but I know it works. Revolver. Revolver herbicide. And the reason why I don't like to talk about revolver is because that stuff is about three hundred dollars a quart.
0: I was gonna say monument, and a monument is gonna fall into that same category there of uh you know, a three well, to me- five hundred dollar cost per acquisition.
1: Let me go mm-hmm. here. So, I did purchase the monument. Um, haven't used it. Basically, after oh, I read about it, I was kind of scared to put it out. So, oh yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So, I got the the monument box sitting there. I figured if nothing else, um, because I did buy a ton of um perennial and annual um, rye really? to try to overseed with. I thought I could use the monument if nothing right away next year. Um, yeah. So the monument is still there. Hadn't used any of it. Um. I've read about another alternative that seemed like less risky, maybe. And I bought that stuff too, but I haven't used it either. It's MSMA uh, to kill the centipede in Bermuda. That was just from reading other forms, oh. but I haven't used it, but I got oh. two and a half gallons. This is, <laughs>
4: this
0: it's is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens on the internet. Everybody was thinking about how to go about the, that gingerly Nick. um, all right so m s m a was banned from the turf market uh i guess it's been about a decade now that that it was it was it, it lost its uh lost its label right so legally they still manufacture it because of its use on right aways uh some uh applications for uh golf and of course agriculture is still used as a as a burned down product in ag and what You'll you'll find people that get relatively feverish about it, myself included. Because um, as MSMA is perpetuated as a solution, um, unfortunately, if there is ever an opportunity that that herbicide comes back to the market, it gets eliminated through a very public misuse of the product. Right, and so a lot of times, you know, the the thing that just absolutely drives me bananas is seeing how many people are so publicly outspoken about intentionally using this product because what happens is is that it then paints the uh the it paints the picture back on the lawn care people that we don't know what we're doing right because the most basic of of rudimentary ideas when you get into the industry that is beat into your head over and over and over is the labels of law right and when you see a blatant disregard which you know I get it I'm I'm not you know some big fan of big government that should tell me what to do and all this fun stuff that's 100% not who I am uh but i try to operate within the confines that are Bestowed upon me because there are uh, because it's it's actually easy to do. Uh, MSMA was a great product when it was out to do the things you needed it to do because at the time that was all we had. Well, over the last decade, there's been pretty significant improvements on the the forefront, uh, especially the sulfonylurea herbicides that are now available to us, that they are exceeding what msma used to be able to do for us right and so where i get my ass chapped and my panties in a wad over it is that it still manages to be circulated on these online forums uh and in truly it's not i i get it it's a homeowner it's your property you do what you want to do but um un- unfortunately the people who end up having to uh pay the penance for other people using that product, it gets passed down to the lawn care operators. The The guys who are out there doing this for a living are the ones that end up getting punished over these types of things. Um, and, you know, you can look at examples of imidacloprid, right? And, and what's coming down the pipeline with that uh, misuse of imidacloprid. And who takes the brunt of it? It's not ag where so much of it was reported. It made its way back to lawn care. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with glyphosate, right? Uh, I'm not even going to argue that glyphosate was was misused. However, a lot of the lawn care distributors, those products are no longer being distributed to lawn care guys who need to use that product in order to generate income. And so, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, uh, the MSMA... In my opinion, is off the table. Uh, you've got monument. Monument may intimidate you because of the low rate, but uh, in reality, it's probably one of the safest products you can use because of that low rate. The LD fifty on that product makes it pretty much non toxic uh, if you're even remotely close within the limits of of the law. Right. So you know, pound for pound, uh, the amount of material it takes of something like monument is so small it is so small what is required is that it's very difficult to leave a lingering effect on the environment right so when it comes to controlling and especially what you have described here in the diversity of the weed population you face i've heard everything from broadleaf weeds multiple different types of broadleaf weeds i even heard you mention uh uh, what was the other one you said there Uh, on the show before the show we were talking about um (laughs) I just read a it's comment well, that said Joanna. yeah somebody said he said MDMA not MSMA that's <laughs> I, I couldn't help but laugh at that. Uh and of course it's Brandon Fault too my chemistry buddy there. Um so you know it's uh, in in this particular instance it, you know uh a monument is going to be way more of an effective product because the spectrum of control, right, you can apply one product that is going to eliminate the vast majority of those weeds and do so very efficiently. Um, and uh, also, it requires so little of the product for you to get that control that uh, when it comes to environment environmental management or environmental risk, uh, that is on the lowest end of the spectrum of the products that you could be going out with, right? Um, and then also, too, uh, it... it uh, it 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 frees you up from having to harbor that you know keep it secret and and wonder you you know is it doing this is it doing that and because he, here's the thing when you know I, I'll I'll say the the phrase burn and return and I'm going to use this for a uh, for a plug here you, you listen to this j Pink. I got this we're going to bring it all full circle but MSMA was really the foundation of what what I call kind of the last generation of lawn care which was burn and return right. MSMA is monosodium methanarsenate, right? So uh, it is a, is a, a salt in, in effect, and you are salting the plant to death, in, except you are salting uh, plants that Bermuda is oftentimes so tolerant of the salt that it will recover from the damage that occurs from the MSMA, right? And so in effect... You were literally salting everything out, smoking it down to the ground, burning it, and then allowing the Bermuda to come in and take the place of what was there. And unfortunately, in order for MSMA to work, to, to, to really have uh, uh, long-term control out of it, to actually get a kill rather than just remove leaves off the weed, it required multiple applications on a very tight time schedule. And so it, was go- it would be a six-week, eight-week type of thing where you lose... Uh, the aesthetic value of your grass, right? And if you're in the transition zone where your grass is only green for six months, eight months out of the year, well, you just lost a month and a half of it to being completely smoked out and roasted, right? Uh, Versus being able to use something like Monument, which may slow growth, but not offer all that much discoloration, and you get a broader spectrum of, of weed control out of it. It just makes more sense to go with that product than the other one. The cost per acquisition is higher, but really when it comes down to dollars and cents on your actual application cost, it's not too wildly different. Uh, And, you know, it keeps you in a bit of a, uh, uh, a a bit of a safe space there. So I would highly recommend you disregard the MSMA, throw it up on eBay, you know, pawn it off on some, some uh, farmer of the sort and uh, work around that, uh, work around that, that base of trifloxysulfurium monument. Right. Um, and, and and so kind of, you know, back to what you were talking about, Monument is broad spectrum. It's going to control broadleaf weeds. It's going to control grassy weeds. Um, it's not the most effective broadleaf weed control, uh, but it is a pretty damn good start. Uh, and it's something that if you need that extra kick, say it's a little bit cool outside when you're making your application, you need that extra kick, then you can add a bit of something that is, Uh, A little bit cheap, like a three-way or something. Um, You can mix three-way with Monument, broaden your spectrum control even wider uh, and get a more effective one application, complete and total kill of uh, everything you're targeting there. Also, nutsedge being a big one, Monument is one of the most effective herbicides in controlling nutsedge, not just in a short-term capacity, but also in a long-term capacity, right? where if you time your application correctly, it can provide you almost season long control of nutsedge out of a single application.
1: So I think I got all the nutsedge with the, uh, I will say that with who? Masaquin. Uh, it's like, uh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Image, image,
1: image.
3: You lay down image. Okay. And here's, uh, You know, going back, Matt talks about burn and return with MSMA. My experience with MSMA is that it was actually a lousy, inferior product to apply unless it is tank mixed with more systemic and residual products. Because when I used it, when I used it back, you know, 1990s, it was. Image, MSMA, Simazine, and something called Banville, also known as Dicamba. And that was just to ensure that if I was going to make a lawn look brown, the only thing that grew back after I was done was, in fact, the zoysia or the Bermuda. So, you know, it, it's basically, it's a lousy product. And I don't really miss it in most cases. And in, to speak to Matt's point, you get more mileage out of doing something like, say, Monument. And at my time of the year, when I'm spraying Monument, Monument frequently goes in with something like Speed Zone, which is 2,4 D ester, uh, MCPP ester, and Dicamba, and something called Carfentrazone which basically makes it so that Monument, which is normally a very slow-acting herbicide taking two to three weeks to show effect, if you apply it that way, you start to see your weeds burn down within five days. You actually see it working. You know, and I've got that a gives you...
5: I've
3: yeah, got You got sulfendrozone. Sulfentrazone plus plus Monument. That's my favorite application for going after things like nutsedge. And if uh, I need to make my, you know, say Speed Zone even hotter than it already is, then it's Sulfentrazone, Speed Zone, and
4: Monument. All-in-one. Okay.
1: And um, that Just turns, to be clear, were y'all, yes, were you all saying the emazoquine should go in the same box with the um, MSMA? Like it's something I should avoid as well? Or is it is okay? No. It's okay. It, it's just that right. with
3: emazoquine, you avoid applying it during tran- transition of the grass and in fact i don't want to see it done within 2 months of the grass breaking dormancy because let me explain something to you about imaziquin imaziquin is actually a very slow acting highly residual soil based herbicide it is not a fast acting you know burn and return type of a product in other words you lay it down it works slowly and it just keeps on going and that may or may not be to your detriment depending on when you've done it like for example if you do it a few weeks before your grass is supposed to come out of transition in the spring you're not going to do well because what i know about innocuin on bermuda is that Bermuda is severely growth regulated by an imazoquine application.
4: I think so, I did that. That's probably exactly
3: what happened. Okay. 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 But because I'm okay with using imazoquine for late spring, early summer edge control. I love it for that because that, gets me through summer without dealing with too much nutsedge. I have no, no issues with it. But as something to control POA in the winter or the, you know, right before transition, I'd rethink that a little.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm learning, learning now. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've used it in years past, but later in the, like after the grass was already come out, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, and, uh, actually I had, like I was, uh, not, I was out of the yard for a while. Like I had a surgery coming up or whatever. I knew i not going to be in mm-hmm. the yard. So I thought I was getting a jump on it. And I go ahead and put it down. Um, I mean, the grass was still dormant at the time. The poanna was growing good, <laughs> but the Bermuda one. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and put it down and, um, I definitely think it, it slowed it to coming out.
0: And it will, it definitely will. Uh, I have seen that and I've caused that to happen so many times. I've done it to zoysia grass. I've done it to Bermuda grass. Um, it's it's a common, easy thing to do. As a bit of a general rule of thumb, if the POA is growing aggressively, like where you can see it's, it's really starting to take off, your Bermuda underneath is really starting to wake up as well. And so you have to be careful with the uh, with the herbicide you select because if your poa is really going hard, your Bermuda is really starting to wake up. So you, you have to choose an herbicide that is not going to be uh, in overly of uh, that cause bigger issues for the Bermuda as it's breaking dormancy. Here's the thing. Pretty much whatever you decide to put on Bermuda in transition is risky as hell. There's no way around that. That's just kind of the name of the game. It would be easier, better on the front end to go with something like glyphosate and get it out of the way uh, and, and take it out with glyphosate. Uh, i say this. So, my
1: grandfather told me the glyphosate. He kept telling me about this technique, applying the glyphosate with a sponge and how I should just take my time and do it. That for me, that it round up on the grass. I was like, nah, I can't do that. It might, you know, burn up all the Bermuda. I probably should have gone that route.
0: Yeah. And even you can, you can apply it to partially greened up Bermuda. So uh, there's a study out of NC State that was done. Uh, specifically about applying glyphosate to partially greened up Bermuda and how it influenced the green up of Bermuda, and it did. It slowed it hair, but there was no lasting damage that occurred from it if you stayed within the rates they recommended. The rates they tested were from 8 ounces per acre all the way to 32 ounces per acre, Uh, so a relatively low rate, um, but it did not cause any extreme damage to the Bermuda grass long term. So, uh, it's always an option, especially if it's uh, you know I I know in our area here we're start in February we're going to start to get those days where you're like oh boy you know spring's right around the corner you know it's going to be seventy degrees it's going to be eighty degrees and uh, and you know the the Bermuda has not woken up yet by any stretch or meaning of the imagination and you still have got multiple frost ahead of you that's going to keep it from really coming out uh, but in a time like that I mean it's a perfect day to get out there and make your application uh, a blanket application of glyphosate. Um, especially if you're going to mix it with like a three-way herbicide, like a speed zone or something like that, it's a perfect one, two combo that you can get out there, make your application. You're going to get everything under control. You can put your pre-emergent down in the same tank with it and just be done one app done. And you're pretty much, you know, riding a good, you know, 60, uh, 80, 90 day period of, uh, of a generally clean lawn from that uh, over that time period. You can't do it with zoysia grass. You can't do it with centipede. You can't do it with St. Augustine. You can't do it with cool season lawns, but you can do it with Bermuda.
1: Anything that you can't do with centipede that you can do with Bermuda right now, that's for me.
0: So back to that, you know, it, it, you know, with the weed pressure you have right now, it would not mean anything to me if you blanket sprayed that backyard with, uh, oh, here's your corn speed well. Look at this. So yeah. for me, this rest- is... a. A blanket application include go ahead, hit the centipede with it as well of monument and sulfenterone, uh run those two products, go ahead, blanket the entirety of the product. you do already have your pre emergent down, correct
1: oh yeah, yes, sir, okay, uh, there's so meslin out there for like three years worth yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're good to go ahead and make that application, and it'll be a one and done. And go ahead and tell me the situation that you were talking about earlier, where you made an application and then this happened.
1: Um, so uh I didn't want fertilizer. I was like, wait, wait before you put any fertilizer down. I was struggling with the dandelions and various other weeds, but not speedwell. And I put down um, Scott has a a granular product that's the herbicide portion of the weed and feed. So it's got the same ingredient same percentage as weed and feed but without the nitrogen. Um and I put I put that down. Um and a lot of the weeds uh, well that and I sprayed the masaquin. Um well I'd sprayed the mazequin while the while the grass was still totally dormant, which I know now I should probably shouldn't know that. Um when the grass was just starting to get a little bit green I, I puts that out from the weed feed part without the nitrogen and you can see like a, all the other weeds that aren't speed well i don't know if uh, there's some other pictures in the backyard you can see they're like curling up and they're really they're really roached out like they're really like dying um but when those yeah that's a great example right there um when those other ones started dying the speed well just popped up um out of nowhere, and I even went back and sprayed. Um, I forget the the real name of it, but it's like a four way four way herbicide product. It comes in like a a bottle at like Lowe's and Home Depot. Um, I might should go look that up. Um, but it had 24 D in it, a dicamba, a couple other things. I can get that like ingredients, but I sprayed that as well. Um, and the Speedwell not impacted by it at all i was hoping i was it to take out the speed wheel, i thought but the stuff didn't even i mean it's not even laying down like it's still standing up and hadn't changed color and um the uh the product i sprayed claimed to like kill some outrageous number of weeds like a bunch of them are different um speed wells so i thought i would be good there but it did not work out i think it's a stop side weed stop
0: Speedwell, in general is it has has kind of reached that phase where we are that uh amine based herbicides are no longer going to kill it they 're just not and and so, I used to run into this problem when when I first got into lawn care, um, it would be the most frustrating thing that I could go out and make a blanket application. Of uh, you know a, a, a three way a let's go three way or whatever and come back and the only thing that was in the property was corn speedwell and through process of elimination what what I found was that I could actually uh, I used to carry something called MCPA ester on my truck and it was an ester based formulation and I could get out there and spray MCPA ester and it would take care of it well from there I started experimenting with other ester based formulations and then found that. Uh, for all intents and purposes, ester-based formulations tended to work exceptionally well on corn speedwell. Amine formulations did not. So going back to, uh, you know, what you have at hand here and particular things that you may want to acquire. Um, I, here Here's the thing is that when you made that application of the uh, of the weed stop, you know, it. It likely had, uh, this was likely already up. It had not reached or broken the canopy yet. And so you made that application. It eliminated everything else. And with that elimination of competition, it gave opportunity for the Speedwell to mature and flourish, right? So now back to this, I think your, your better bet moving forward would be either going out with something like your monument and sulfenter zone that would be a great 1 2 combo there uh, you're going to get more of that uh, 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 foliar burn down effect from the Sulfentra zone while the systemic activity the root uh, uh, the movement of the herbicide from the tip to the root from the monument to to take hold there so you kind of you do get a nice quick burn down and a long term root kill of this particular weed with with that combination um speed zone in this instance would work pretty well on uh on the corn speed well um but it's not going to do much for your centipede there yeah what you got
1: um so the uh the like kill all product that i used had like 2,4 d in it quinclorac dicamba and self so i thought surely it'll get it right it didn't um no no is uh not gonna (laughs) it didn't yeah it definitely didn't is um is speedwell listed on the um monument product like is it one of the listed things that it'll target or is it just something i should know it'll get even though it's not targeted or even though it's not listed i mean um basically i've been googling and even going to sites like do my own and they like have this label search where you can search what's in the labels and just trying to pull up products that list Speedwell. And because I already had the monument, if it had come up, I would have been like, wow, but it did never come up in my search. I think Self Interzone's in, that's why I bought the Self Interzone. Um, any okay. idea I'm on that?
3: On because, because, let me just scan the label real fast for you, because. How many applications of 2,4-D-based products have you made to the lawn already?
1: Um, Including that's, my, the... that's one thing. I'm pretty sure pretty sure I was over my limit because the kill-all product said, you know, at most twice a year. So I got the, the portion mm-hmm. from the kill-all product in, in one app. But I also got 2,4-D in the herbicide portion, herbicide product from the um, Scotts. I should probably look that product up. I can tell you exactly what's in it. I know 2,4-D okay. was listed on there.
3: because I see something called Corn Speedwell in the Monument label. And that is exactly
0: what's growing there.
3: That's what I got. Yeah, for yep. sure. Yep. Because I'm also familiar with a product that I used to rely on a lot here in Hawaii before I got into a more comprehensive pre-emergent program. And that product was Power Zone. Are you familiar with that product, uh,
1: Matt, Ryan?
3: PowerZone?
0: No, I've never heard of PowerZone.
4: Okay,
3: PowerZone showed zone up in is, an NC State study
1: for Cornwell that I read. Go ahead. Okay,
3: PowerZone is MCPA, MCPP, and dicamba and carfentrazone, and that can be the third application after an applicator has already gone through their two annual applications of 2,4-D. And I essentially used to use it back in the day because uh, I think up until 2000, Hawaii basically severely restricted 2,4-D-based weed controls, but MCPA was unrestricted. So guess what I did? (laughs) I ran the power zone. <laughs> hey,
0: Ryan, turn your mic up. And Matt, what are we looking at here? So uh, on the first column there, about uh, almost to the, so the third up from the bottom on the far left column, you'll see corn speed well. This is the monument label. This is at oh, 10 shit. to 15 grams uh, per acre. Um, here, here's the thing is if you're going to make an application to monument, invest in a good scale, uh, because you're, and you know, make sure you're good at your gram conversions here, because if you're only applying 10 to 15 grams per acre, you know, divided by 43.5 is, uh, is where you are on, uh, you know, your grams per thousand, right? So you need, you need a good scale in order to measure that, but And this is what really chaps my ass is that they used to manufacture monument in these little individual gallon packets, right? Where you took the packet and you dumped it in one gallon and then it was good to go. But they don't make that anymore and they only have it in the, uh, uh, I think most of the packets right now are five gram packets and, uh, and you know, yeah. A five gram pack, going to cover a third of an acre. But you know, if you've got 8,000 square feet that you say, you know, maybe you only need two and a half grams and that's going to cover you across your entire property there. Um, so in, in easy thing, uh, here there's another one. So you talked about power zone there, Ray, I've never used power zone. I did use a lot of uh tri power back in the day when I would run up against my, uh, my two, four D limits and looking at the label here it's you know same thing mcpa mechaprop and dicamba um, and i know mcpa is used a lot in as uh, an alternative for it um what are the differences between mcpa and 24d and mechaprop
3: okay mcpa is supposedly a lot more selective in a crop called flax but as far as turf grass is concerned mcpa and mcpp unfortunately is rather harsh on warm season grasses with the exception of zoysia so i used to get a little bit of earning from that power zone unless I kept that label rate on the lower end rather than going for max rates. And in fact, in most cases, I would prefer that my herbicide formulations keep the amount of MCPP down to a minimum. And that's why, for example, I'm a big fan of speed zone because the ratio of 2,4-D to MCPP is such that I don't get more damage than weed control out of it. And oh, by the way, MCPP is the ingredient in three-way that tends to affect clover more than 2,4-D otherwise would. So that's why it's included in three-ways. Yep. Uh,
0: me, uh, I can say from experience running that MCPA ester on Bermuda grass, I've definitely turned some orange. Uh, and this is, you know, mm-hmm. where I was doing some dumb stuff with it. Uh, like <laughs> I tell this story, uh, lovingly when I first started spraying weeds with the, uh, with the permagreen and this is with, this was with two, four D right. Um, you know, I've I was so unsure of the spray volume coming out of the nozzle that I would go over the same weed two or three times. Right uh, in this particular instance, I was actually spraying onions, and uh, and it just it felt so weird to me that I made you know a couple two three squirts across it, and boy did I turn everything orange. I mean, it was it was a bright vibrant orange, and it takes me back to when I was backpacking MCPA ester on uh, on Bermuda grass. Four corn speed well, and having that same chemically burned type of orange that I got from it,
3: right right it's uh yeah m c p a ester like in that power zone formulation, I remember using rates as low as uh thirty two ounces per acre and getting extremely good control over. The targeted broadleaf weeds, it didn't take much. And 32 ounces, by the way, is probably as much as the Bermuda grass could deal with without turning too
1: orange or too brown. So, for my situation, is it applicable or not? The power zone. Yes, it is. It's very
3: applicable because I would even suggest it because. Here's one more thing. Centipede grass is not tolerant of MCPA at all. Cool. So you can see where I'm going with this is. <laughs> I'm buying it if right you, now. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, you know, disfavor or disadvantage your centipede grass, I'd be out there with the sprayer filled with monument and power zone, for example. I'd be, Nick, I'd be sending it.
0: <laughs> Nick, were you? Cool. W- was
1: this your attempt at trying to stop the centipede from coming over? No. Um. Well, a couple of things. Oh, you're talking about this picture. I just see it now. Um, it's yeah, yeah. so I have uh, like basically. Um, it's kind of like I used an edger, but I actually did it with like this blade on a stick. Uh, it's like a manual bed edging implement. Mm-hmm. and i uh, mm-hmm. just wedged in there and kind of hit. the main thing was this um talking with my grandfather um his approach on the centipede was largely um like if we grow healthy enough bermuda like it will naturally push out the centipede i'm like grandpa it's um it's been here for a couple of years now we're, <laughs> we're either there's something we need to do with the Bermuda we're not doing or we need another alternative um and so then i started talking about spraying the monument um, on there, and uh, he's like, Well, if you do that, you, the neighbor might get mad. um Even if you don't spray it onto the neighbor's yard via the root system and the runners in the uh, centipede, it could go over as much as three feet. The impact though it could go over as far as three feet. So then, um, like, I thought on it real hard, and I was like, I got it, the centipede out of here. So I went down four inches deep um, on the property line and tried to separate the roots of the centipede. Um, that's what's going on there. That
0: that was not easy. My goodness. It took
1: a little bit.
3: That's a Mm. good start because with stoloniferous grasses, I often suggest that people sever the stolons before trying to do herbicidal control on it because, my goodness, I despise conjoined lawns. I despise them, but that's another day. I even but thought anyway.
1: about and on that on that note I thought about should it would it be cool to run a piece of bed edging through there just to keep it separate. back uh, and then yes, of, it would. somebody else in the Discord somebody in the Discord was like, No, that'll look horrible. <laughs> I'm like, no, Well a what lot about of are like, what about that brick uh, you know, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah, if you
2: did a a, a course of pavers, they do it a lot with um like difficulties and different, uh, you know, different other types of celebration or something like that out in the rough or second cut. You know, they'll section those off, right? So they can just run a stick edger down either side of that and have that definition. So I wouldn't see any yeah. problem with that. You know, just you know, throw a little bit of gravel in the bottom of it just so you know you're not going to freeze, but just so it can float a little bit, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I'd have no problem with that. This is what chaps my yeah, ass
0: about centipede, and I and I, it should be eliminated from the face of the planet. Is you've got that you've got that centipede right there, and I promise you that in any other situation, if you went over to that neighbor's yard and you stared at it long enough in the wrong way, you could probably burn a dead spot in it with your own eyeballs. However, what creeps in and intermingles with your Bermuda grass right there, in theory, yes, you get your Bermuda dense enough and healthy enough, it should be able to resist it, but it doesn't for whatever reason. I don't know why. I do not understand it. And it will go there, and you can treat it like holy hell, even to the point of probably getting out there and sprinkling uh, sodium chloride on it. When you have to get to that point with the centipede, when it's in a lawn and it's a full monostan of centipede and you can look at it and kill it, Versus when it's in your lawn, you've got to bust out the sodium chloride to kill it. It just doesn't make sense to me. I hate that grass more than anything <laughs> on the face of the planet.
3: Centipede can go to hell.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. Oh, um, oh and by, by the and way, one thing, just like-
3: centipede will survive and in fact thrive at low heights of cut. And so Matt, I remember you telling me about your centipede grass nightmares, and a lot of that is related to it not being mowed low enough. Because if it were in fact kept at like five eighths of inch or half an inch, that would then become super grass. So, in this case, with with Nick's, if he starts putting a real mower on this thing over there and starts mowing it down low. You've just ensured its survival. Go figure.
0: (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Look, the best centipede was the one you would let grow to four inches, and then you came in and scalped it three quarters of an inch or an inch. you know, And you just took off a massive chunk of it at one time. It loved it. That was the absolute happiest centipede you could have in the entire world is if you just completely neglected it, treated it like dog shit. Mowed it as low and violently as you possibly could. Probably if you mowed it with a weed eater, it would it would thank you for it. I don't know. I just I do not like centipede.
3: Uh, No, it would no it wouldn't, Matt, because the only time I've seen Centipede die is if a string trimmer was involved. But as far as a mower is is concerned, you're right. It loved the low cut. It just loved the low cut to death.
4: so the um
1: on on the other side the the other side of the mm-hmm. yard, there's another picture like this with a similar line. Um, that lady loves the centipede so much. She recently put some sod down on top of centipede that was already there, and she just sawed the what? centipede last year, so she's like got multiple layers of centipede sod. It's really weird <laughs> um and on uh, on her lawn, like her lawn is so lumpy. I used to mow um over to her edge side of her house. And that, you can still see some bare spots. I'm not sure if I have a picture of them. But there are still bare spots there because the lawn's so lumpy, like, when I'm going, I'm, I'm just mowing it an inch, not even really low. But it's, like, hitting the the lumps in the ground and taking off, you know, chunks, of huge chunks of the centipede grass. And it still hasn't grown back. So, in that situation, it's, is like, it, on up is it a this? little bit. But, um, yeah, that's the picture. If you go, like, to the very top of the picture, you can see come some little line like like little lines up there and she's even soldered it over that's places where i've hit it with lawnmower when i was cutting her grass for her, just to just over to that edge of the house and um it never has grown back so in that situation i tried to encourage the centipede to grow back in those spaces put sand out um little fertilizer at times you know normally i stop on the line and don't put it over there i was trying to get it to grow couldn't do anything with that centipede didn't do nothing for me but in my grass the centipede grows like wildfire Cannot get it
0: to go away. I, know, I just can't stand it. Somebody needs to do away with it. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you know what you need to and do? They,
1: they love it. They love it here. One yard at a time, these people are going in, uh, like, tearing off the their, their, uh, basically the builder put in common Bermuda, right? Te- tearing it up and sodding centipede grass. And I'm watching the neighborhood. Like, at this point, it's 70 75% centipede lawns. Like these people love the centipede grass, and it's killing me.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of Aiken, South Carolina.
2: We don't have that problem. My mom's family is from Hills,
1: right near Aiken.
0: Oh, it just—it makes me sick to my stomach. Look at it! Look at that! Look at that yellow in the background! Look at that contrast! Is that not hideous? Yeah. <laughs> hey, baby, I've got a great idea. We're gonna rip out this damn green grass we got. and We're gonna put in something that's a real funny yellow. We call it puke green, and it's it's nice. It's real nice, and they call it the lazy man's grass. I only have to mow it ever so often. You don't fertilize it. You don't do nothing to it. It's a great idea, baby. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna spend five thousand dollars on it.
1: I did put out that it's 10, that. 10, 10, 10. about right. It is it is starting to yellow some. I can see it.
3: Really, I just did put it wherever out on the you edge. put it. Down... Yeah. Okay, because. That is speaking to how sensitive centipede grass is to chlorides. Because the number one mistake I see made to a centipede lawn is you keep on feeding it muriate of potash as its fertilizer, you will get it to decline and die. So, you know, that nice mix that we always like to use of either potassium nitrate. Or potassium sulfate and ammonium sulfate as a fertilizer. Instead of doing that to the centipede, feed it urea and muriate of potash. You're gonna kill it with fertilizer.
1: Serious, no joke. One, one thing I thought about in that rut that I've cut that that edged line between the yards. Um, if I pack the ten 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 in there, the cheap ten 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 with the chlorine in it. If I pack it in there, would that be too much? Would that be okay? Would that help? Would it be a waste? I don't know. That would help. And then also, that would help. if we're talking about sodium chloride, can I put it in there? Put the sodium sure chloride can. in there too? I don't know. Yeah. A okay. little,
3: little bit of kosher. I mean, kosher, Himalayan, uh, Mediterranean sea salt, whatever floats your boat, go for it. <laughs> I mean, because I'm just capitalizing on how touchy and sensitive centipede is to chlorides i'm just capitalizing on it
1: <laughs> if are talking it, about if it, putting um pavers in there maybe i can find pavers made out of like salt licks and just put them in there
3: yeah <laughs> yeah the, the kettle salt blocks go for it man <laughs> yeah
1: there we go
0: Uh, if if, at, at this point, yeah, I would just, man, I'm telling you, I'd, I'd make, I'd make my application of power zone and, and monument and just be done with it. It's going to roast it. It will absolutely just, it'll be, it'll be so done, just done, done. (laughs) I love this song. That's a good one.
1: The other thing that hung me up on the monument earlier, early in the year was that, um, I was worried about the grass being like not yet out of dormancy and. It's actually it's looking better this week than it has in you know, so far. It's really greening up a good bit. But um, is there any concern around uh, applying the monument to the tiff grand before it's fully out, or is that not a thing? Uh, not a problem.
3: That's not that. That's not as bad as in Masachan. It's not as bad. I mean, I uh, okay. I've done monument to turf grasses while they're in, you know their winter non-growth period and it doesn't hurt them of course i'm very judicious as far as my application rate where if it says 15 gram per acre it's no more no less and i i don't think it's a matter of the herbicide it's a matter of how are you applying it and because I know for a fact that a lot of your herbicides do have a 2x safety factor built into them. However, your chance of injury is greatly decreased by staying
1: inside of the label rates. Stay in them. I definitely, yeah, I definitely like to work on my spraying skills and get to where I can confidently be within the boundary of, of what's recommended there not have to rely on the the 2x factor um that's Whoa. and i that brought i think we talked about that briefly before i i three tips you can give me on how not to overspray or not when i say overspray i mean how not to apply too much of um of whatever i am spraying um and i was asking like is it okay to just delete dilute the products twice as much that's something i haven't done that but that's something i've often considered um okay Let's yeah, let's
0: let's let's talk about this.
1: First
2: of all, how do you how have you calibrated your sprayer? Like what process have you done to calibrate it?
1: I'm putting the product. When I in say the sprayer. Calibrate,
2: oh, okay. When I say calibrate, I'm saying you know how much water per unit area, right? So gallons per acre, gallons per thousand square feet, right, is coming out of that sprayer, regardless of what's in there product wise do you know the answer to that question?
1: Uh, I'm sure I'm not doing it right. Let's say that. I'm basically okay. putting, <laughs> <Okay>. up, <laughs> putting up for 1,000 square feet. You know, I'm, I'm mapping out, like, to figure it out. I'm like looking at 1,000 square feet. I mix up enough for a 1,000 square feet. And then I try to get a feel for the rate that I need to be applying the product to evenly cover that 1,000 square feet to use up whatever the, in, the total volume that I have mixed up you know when i mix up just enough for a thousand and um you know to cover it evenly but use it all that's that's what i'm doing Brian i'm is... trying to kind of get a feel for that and use that to cover the rest of the lawn.
3: okay uh i probably would tell you to take the opposite approach and do it the other way around where say i fill up my sprayer, as I would be using it, was just plain water. And I would make some practice runs and say, cover 500 square feet, cover a 1,000 square feet, and see how much volume, liquid volume, I'm actually consuming or using to cover that 500 or 1,000 square foot. And I take that and say... I make my practice run, and I can consistently put down, say, a gallon or a gallon and a half of liquid per thousand square foot. From that point on, I know that whatever I want to spray onto a thousand square foot goes into that gallon or gallon and a half of water, and I just follow that I just follow that you see if somebody say throws something into a gallon of water and assumes and by the way I hate the word assume because some a lot of my elders have told me when you assume you make an ass of you and me so when I don't assume that a gallon is going to cover a thousand square foot uniformly and in a way that is repeatable time and time again because everybody walks at a different speed. Everybody's spray equipment is a little different. So what I'm actually looking at is how do how much water do I need such that I can cover the lawn without running or I can cover the lawn without walking at a snail's pace and just cover my area such that it's done without skips, it's done with a uniform liquid wetness, you know, on the grass and on the weeds. And so, speaking to that, I don't assume that because it is too important. Instead, what I do is I take the time to figure it out and test myself. So, yeah, I, I, I and so that's why when somebody tells me, for example, how, you know, I'm going to put this much stuff in a gallon of water, I then say, okay, tell me now, how much square footage are you covering with that gallon? Do you know? And if you don't know, now's a good a time as any to figure it out. And by the way, for critical applications, something that I myself do is I will make the application in Double the amount of water that I need to cover a thousand square foot. And what I do is that diluted mix is I go across the turf in two directions rather than just try to cover it in one pass. So say I'm spraying a gallon per thousand square foot. Instead I formulate my spray. In two gallons of water, and then I go north, south, then east to west with that spray mix. Does
4: that I mean, make it sense? Felt like you wanted to add something. Yeah.
2: to yeah. me?
0: Yeah, uh, you looked very intense there for a minute when Ray was was talking. <laughs> like you. No, I, I
3: <laughs> passion.
2: I I love I'm a I'm a whore for calibrations I I, I like to make sure it's right um okay so let's first talk about the wrong way to do it not that what you're doing is wrong but it ain't right and it's it's okay to do it with like I don't want to say it's okay to do it you can get away with doing it with granular products coming out of a spreader like fertilizer not the end of the world, right? What's uh, what's Matt's favorite saying? G for grow, L for lush, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y for you better find a new job. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to spraying, okay, first
1: of all, what kind of what kind of spray are you are you using? Uh, I have more than one, but typically any of the stuff that's. Um more sensitive i'm using the backpack sprayer it's like a a four gallon let's go backpack sprayer.
2: and do you have that little brass tip that's like adjustable on there is that the spray tip you're using on there right now
1: yeah yeah that's right
2: okay okay so that's one thing too is that you know we look at not only like what ray's saying so we're taking big picture and we're going to shrink it all the way down to right where the water's coming out right so um that nozzle and the size of droplets and the pattern at which it's spraying out is also critically important, depending on the application you're putting out. So I would say that, given the way that that nozzle adjusts, right? That's a hollow cone nozzle. I'm not sure that I I, I don't know because I always take that nozzle and just throw it away whenever I get one of those sprayers. I'm not saying you're wrong for using it. <laughs> me too. It. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can just you know that's brass. I mean, that's can you like, recommend you know,
1: me a replacement nozzle?
2: Well, we can talk about nozzles. That's a great topic to to dive into here in a minute. If my camera dies, don't freak out. I'll keep talking. But, um, so on that tip, let, let's talk about that real quick. Just because other people might be beginners and thinking, "Oh, I'll use this." There is no way. I'm saying there is no way to get adequate droplet size, right, and uniformity to get to one gallon and most especially one and a half gallons with that particular nozzle out of a backpack sprayer. Ray, would you agree or disagree with that statement? I totally
3: agree. And in fact, uh, J pink, I just posted a picture of my normal setup for when I'm spraying out of a backpack sprayer of some kind using just a single nozzle rather than my multiple nozzle, boom. so This here. Yep. And what that is, is that is an (laughs) air-inducted flat fan spray tip with a check valve assembly on the nozzle body to keep the liquid from the wand from dripping out or draining out when I've let go of the trigger. And what this does is this throws out a 20 inch wide fan and the droplets in that fan pattern are relatively uniform. They're not so large that they'll roll off of the weeds, but they're also not so small that they'll drift a couple hundred feet like that video that we had uh, in the after show a couple of weeks ago where I was just sitting there horrified while the spree was drifting. And this is your T-Jet uh, air-inducted fan nozzle. That's what that's called.
2: So, and here's why, okay, you asked about a nozzle recommendation. Now, you're going to need to kind of adapt what you have probably, I can't think of the what the end of that looks like, but adapt it. Now he's got a quick cap assembly here. Like this is just going to twist on with a little rubber gasket down inside this nozzle. I'm pointing at the screen as if you can see it, even though you can't. That's on me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's like a quick there <laughs> um, for a sprinkler. Uh,
1: kind, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, very similar. Very yeah, similar. Except much. Your male much. and your female are reversed. Yeah. So, uh, the air inducted nozzle, I think. Is if you were going to pick one nozzle and use it, I think it's probably the best all-around nozzle for somebody who just doesn't want to sit there and change nozzles out depending on whether you're spraying foliar or you're spraying soil, you know, soil stuff, and you're changing your volumes and things like that. Like if you were just trying to say, hey, I just want one nozzle that can do, you know, pretty good at everything, an air inductive nozzle. So like uh, a gray uh air inductor nozzle which is going to be like a O six ray right oh six, no, 06 yeah, one ten zero six yeah yeah so a, a one ten zero six yeah. yep so that's going to give you kind of the best of both worlds of being able to spray probably up to uh 1.25 maybe 1.5 depending on how slow you walk and probably at a pretty comfortable pace being able to spray somewhere between like uh point eight and one gallon per thousand pretty comfortably right and now the actually, advantage of these there go ahead
3: actually you see that uh that red one ten zero four AI tip Ryan mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. get I get one point two five gallon per thousand out of that tip per thousand
2: oh, what' what what pressure are you running on that bastard? Forty
3: Forty psi, wow.
2: nice and
3: and and so if I want to kind of slow it down and not have to fast march around my lawns, I change that to the dark blue AI one ten zero three, and just mm, that. That's take, small. Takes me, you no, know, that takes me down to a gallon. But what also happens when I'm that small? Is when I'm mm-hmm. fighting with a small leafed weed like prostrate spurge, mm-hmm. those smaller, more uniform droplets basically target that prostrate, small leafed weed like nothing else. Whereas if I say go out with something bigger like this, like you talked about the one ten zero six, the the spray droplets tend to roll. However, well, and- Yeah, however, if I'm dealing with windy conditions, I size up all the way to that 110.08 and plan on applying 2.5 gallons per thousand square foot per pass, and I can safely operate in up to 10 miles per hour of wind. Okay, so this
2: is a good. Good segue. I'm trying to find the nozzle chart so I can send it to J Pink and link it. Here we go. Copy that image. TJ. J Pink, it's coming to you. <laughs> yeah, TJ, we're gonna look at the AI. There you go. That's the AIXR. Same thing as the A C. So um let's talk about droplet size real quick. So let's let's work our way back start at the nozzle and we'll work our way back here on calibration. Nick, if that makes sense, right? So to help so. you understand the the factors that go into what, why we're choosing a particular carrier volume. By carrier volume, I mean the amount of water that we want to apply over a given area, right? So again, gallons can per thousand per gallon.
1: Absolutely. One question there. So I'm normally like looking at the label, and it's saying this amount of product in one gallon, or this amount of product in five gallons um and i'm like following their instruction on that ratio are we saying that there's flexibility there as far as the yes. um, the amount of volume per? okay
2: yes 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 because what they're saying is so let's just say it's one to five right they're saying one to five gallons per thousand square feet and, and so what they're saying is is that the lowest you would want to go, so the in the most uh, concentrated form or concentrated mix that you would have in it, don't go lower than one gallon of carrier volume per 1,000 per thousand square feet. Conversely, if you want to, like what Ray's saying, you got 10 mile an hour winds, you're going to spray two and a half gallons in one pass and double up over it, right? If you want to cut it mm-hmm. all the way down to five gallons per 1,000, you're fine. Now there's some products that don't work quite as well when they're that that far diluted down, right? Um, herbicides in particular, right? Because we need leaf coverage, right? And it's very very difficult to do that when we have high high carrier volumes. So going back to this nozzle thing and going back to this droplet size thing, the the droplet sizes are characterized by how large or small they are, right? So ranging from a mist. All the way up to, you know, a drop of water like it would drip off your finger, right? And again, it's all about how it reacts with the leaf and the type of chemical that you have in there and what you want it to do. Do you want it to stay on the leaf? Do you want it to roll off the leaf? Do you want it to get down on the soil as quickly as possible? What, you know, how um, phytotoxic could it be if it stays on the leaf for a really long time? I mean, there's a number of different variables that you have to account for in that situation. So, um, typically... Anything fully applied, we'd like to have the finest droplets that we possibly can. Now, again, if you're in Ray's world where, Ray, how many calm days do you have a year in Hawaii?
3: A handful. A handful. A literal <laughs> handful. I was going to say so, zero. I
2: was going to say zero. but <laughs> But, yeah, zero
3: is for all intents and purposes, but the point is yeah. is that You see something like this AI xr one ten zero two. I once tried making an application with a tip that small. And on my typical, you know, walking speed and whatever, this translates down to a half a gallon of carrier per thousand square foot. And guess what I was applying that day? Can't imagine. Humic. Monument, <laughs> Celsius, and Dismiss.
2: Oh, boy.
3: Yeah. What color did that turn?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Purple. Turf State. Was oh, that orange? Oh, Turf State Green. Turf State Green, man. Oh, <laughs> Turf State really? Green. Turf State Green because, again, I'm calibrated, right? And you the, the down. thing is, is... The thing is, though, is I was also doing this on a big, wide-open turf grass area with no surrounding desirable vegetation within several hundred feet of that treatment area. So I would do it in that situation, but I wouldn't do it on my typical lawn where... I have people's hedges. I have the neighbor's trees and shrubs downwind because the droplets coming out of that AI one ten zero two nozzle were small. Yeah. Because I know you, you also see on the internet a lot of people that think the less water you apply per 1,000 square foot, uh the bigger your manhood is and really i mean is that a fight. thing for yeah. real yeah that that's a thing that's a that's a thing uh, and supposedly
2: I, man there ain't nothing more than, i love than mixing up a 300 gallon sprayer and covering like 50,000 square feet and that just feels good
0: me too me too because my fat ass ain't getting yeah, off I, the permagreen and i don't want to hear it from anybody uh, it, you know i'm doing court a corp a cor- <laughs> Per per thousand, and that's hey, get <laughs> off get off my guts That's that's just what I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm proudly t- to say that I have covered many, many, many thousands of acres on multiple of those machines. And uh, and why do you think I embrace the burn and return? It's because I can burn the hell out of the grass and I can make it grow just as fast. So, you know, that's what I do right there. I ain't walking hey, no damn I just, yard I, to I, save my life. My, no, thank you.
3: Who who said I, I like always walk? Yeah, yeah. Who says I always walk? Because I don't uh, want to
0: hear about your truck-mounted thing that you got going on off the back of your off the back of your truck that you're going down right aways and all that fun stuff you got going, Ray. I know, I know what you do over there.
3: Five gallons per thousand net per pass.
2: Gosh, that's serious. Okay, so Five getting back percent. into the the nozzle <laughs> thing here. You're if you want to pick just one nozzle, the the air inducted nozzle is a good one. But we could do a whole show on nozzle selection. Let's just uh you know, again, uh a, a, a foliar product, so foliar fertilizers, herbicides, um contact fungicides that those would be something that you want to have a finer droplet because you want that droplet to land and stay on the leaf as much as possible, right? If you're doing a soil applied spray. So if you're, if you're spraying uh, a pre-emergent, if you're spraying insecticide, if you're spraying humic acid or something like that, uh, you'd want to get that down past the canopy and into the soil. And that's going to require a larger droplet. Now, the reason I say a, an air-inducted nozzle, and gentlemen, you can agree or disagree if you'd like, the way an air-inducted nozzle works is it takes in air as the water passes through and basically inside the center of that droplet, right, is a bubble of air. And the whole point is, is that the droplet is large as it falls the 20 inches down from your boom and hits the ground. When it hits the ground, it bursts like a water balloon, Right. And if we look mm-hmm. at they have uh these really cool things that are uh water sensitive paper cards, right so they're yellow, and when they get contacted with water, they turn blue. I'll see if I can find a nice little slide of that here j pink so you can throw it up. but in any event, we get the coverage of um like a uh a finer tip nozzle with the um the larger droplets from the air inducted nozzles with, without the drift, like that Ray is talking about. And then also we get the coverage that we would like to have with a finer tip nozzle. So it's kind of the best of both worlds where we don't have drift. We can get a larger droplet and still get the volume out there that we want. That's the other thing too, is that we can have a volume range anywhere from, you know, half a gallon per thousand clear up to, you know, three, four, five gallons per thousand if we really wanted to. So it's a very versatile one to choose if you had to just pick one, that's, that's the reason I'm into it.
1: Yeah, and that was the one ten zero six we were talking about or just all of these AIXR nozzles?
4: All, all of
2: these in general all, the o- 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 06 is probably your best all around I think is what you're going to find. Oh four, oh six is probably where you're going to want to be if you had to pick one
1: okay and, and um, on the pressure so that- normally that's
3: the other thing uh, spring pressure Nick. uh I'm going to guess that is your backpack hand pumped or is it electric? Hand pumped. Hand pumped. Okay. If it's hand pumped, that's both good and bad. And the reason why it's both good and bad is I can tell you from experience that up to a 110 zero six to a one ten zero eight tip you can pump a backpack sprayer fast enough to keep the pressure high enough for these tips to work correctly uh and back when i was using a backpack sprayer you know 30 years ago that was hand pumped i actually had a pressure gauge fitted between the trigger and the wand that I'd be monitoring as I was making the application because I wanted to be pumping fast enough to maintain 40 PSI through the nozzles because most of your manufacturers have designed their nozzles for an optimum spray pattern at 40 PSI. You go under the 40 PSI what often happens is that the droplets are no longer as uniform and the spray pattern itself gets more narrow. So instead of getting that 20 plus inch wide fan, you're now looking at a 16 inch fan. So, you know, pressure is everything. And of course, uh, I can tell you later about my actual sprayer setup where. I can literally maintain anywhere from 40 to a hundred PSI at the nozzles all day long. (laughs) Is
4: that a manual pump too?
0: No, that's engine driven. (laughs) (laughs) It's the damnedest thing you have ever seen. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. um so on on my manual um should i consider like an adjustable pressure regulator of some type i know i've seen stuff like that you can add on um with that okay. if you if out? you
0: plan on staying with that uh but what is the likelihood of you wanting to go electric
1: well okay so i was gonna um because saying, when you start talking that. about so, adding pressure
0: well, well, regulators and all this stuff, the cost is climbing rapidly where you could just easily make the transition over to electric.
1: Well, I looked at or some electric gas. backpacks, right?
3: Or you know, even gas. Well, I did
1: look at one gas backpack too. Um, but uh, the definitely on the electric uh backpacks, uh, they didn't come with, with an agitator, and I was like, it, some of the products that I've looked at on the label, it says it requires an agitator. I really didn't know for sure if that counted, you know, even in a manual pump or not, but, um, the manual pump that I got, I selected it because it came with an agitator. Basically, I think it stirs the tank when you're pumping, basically, inside of it. Adding filters. Um, some of the, like, uh, soluble powder stuff says you want to have filters in place and it already had filters in place for that. The electrics don't. They don't, at least the ones at Site 1, that Site 1 stocks. Those electric backpacks didn't have filters, um, and they don't support um, soluble powders, which I'm not sure how important that is, um, but that's why I went with the manual. I
4: wanted to get the electric, though. Well,
3: I've known people that have kind of outgrown even their electric backpacks because they want to do some rather...
4: Yes. Yes
3: and matt uh what did you say about me that i am just extra (laughs)
0: yes yes
3: extra (laughs) is the
0: only way i know how to describe you because this is so over the top even down to the watts regulator with the pressure gauge the handle the quick connects everything here is for function and purpose Uh, I, even, even the choice of sprayers. Yeah. I is just, this is, this is so extra Ray.
3: Because, uh, what, so all those says about this setup is he says, this is five, five, five. And the reason why he says five, five, five is five gallons in the tank. 5,000 square feet covered
4: in five minutes. Ray, how much
0: does that weigh when it's filled up?
3: I think it weighs about 80 pounds. Okay. So to put that
0: into perspective, uh, uh, that is, Ray weighs about 80 pounds as well. Uh, so this is, <laughs> he is toting his body weight around as he, as he sprays this. I can tell you right now, I'm every bit of six foot four, 250 pounds and ain't a chance in hell. I want to carry that <laughs> damn monkey around on my back, attempting to spray a yard. That's just me though. That's just me. I don't have that extra that Ray has in his life.
1: We'll say this. <laughs> I had a 30 gallon pull behind and I, it was like, I got overwhelmed with the complexity. Like, it had like booms on each side. And, um, it was one thing when my grandfather was running it, you know, it was due, you know, that made it worth having. But then when it came to me operating it, I was like, uh, after messing with it, I gave it away. <laughs> it was just too complicated at the time,
4: anyway. Yeah. Well, the,
3: the, you know, what makes this all work. Is you see this regulator here? When I say 40 psi, I see it on the gauge as I'm applying. And I can make small adjustments up or down, you know, to stay within my gallon per thousand. And there's other applications that I make where I no longer am into. 40 PSI because for turf grass, I spray as high as a hundred PSI.
4: I'm spraying at a hundred.
0: This is, if, if this is the route you go, this is beyond dedication. Like this, you know, you, you are adopting a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle purchase. How about that? (laughs) Brian, your mic is turned off. Come 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 back in. Start that over.
2: I said this is some Jason Bourne shit. You're not like the hitman <laughs> of the asset. Like you are the you are the person that all the hitmen and the assets are trying to kill. Like that's how serious <laughs> it is.
1: Is there something maybe less extreme that's uh, instead of having to build it where it's already prepackaged? Anything like that? The altar out there. It's actually. Or?
3: It's you know. Here's my here's my little grape or the bitch is that even this this backpack sprayer, while as good as it was, not long after I took this picture, I added high pressure jet
1: agitation to the <laughs> tank. That's what I ran into. That's exactly what I was looking at with the other backpacks. Okay. I would have to add Okay. What what about powders are you? Why, using? Okay. I just know that um, the reason, I think the powder thing came up with the monument label. And I was like, well, I need okay. an agitator. And then I was like, how do I Actually, get an agitator in these units that don't come with one?
3: The, the reason why I, I needed you know, intense agitation is because I'm frequently applying something like AliEt. AliEt does not want to stay in solution. wants to fall to the bottom of the tank so and I'm also applying a lot of prodiamine that's another one where that doesn't want to stay you know in solution wants to fall up to the bottom of the tank so I basically needed a sprayer that would keep everything mixed up and you know, in suspension, and I also do something else where I also am doing a lot of soluble fertilizers. So when I have that 500 psi agitation running, I can literally fill my tank three-quarter full of water and just sprinkle in soluble fertilizers like ammonium sulfate or peter's triple 20 and the jet agitation will just mix it up and have it in solution in five minutes or less
4: i will
0: say uh last week we had turf therapy on. yes and everyone this is what i was thinking right about here this. And as you're that practicing developing your, your walking pace to uh, establish what your rate per thousand square feet is out of your out of your tool, and you know with your walking pace and all that fun stuff, this has a metronome built into it to help you keep time with your steps too, uh, to really help you learn about uh, what your walking pace is, and uh, and then you can equate that to what your output is, and then you can equate that to your mix ratios when you make an application.
1: I need to ask this. Are we saying that the agitator that the label is saying is necessary is not necessary in these smaller volumes?
0: Yes. Well, you gotta think, yes. as you're walking, you're you're providing pretty significant movement around in that bad boy. You may not be for your first uh uh you know hundred feet that you sprayed or whatever, <laughs> but as soon as you provide a little bit of space in that bad boy, I mean it is it's gonna be sloshing all around.
2: Cool. Agreed.
3: Yeah, yeah. It uh, what that speaks to, as far as agitation goes, is there's a lot of sprayers out there. Like say that thirty uh, gallon pull behind sprayer. That, it had an agitator. Man. I know. For, yeah, yeah. That needs a good agitator because say you tip in that five gram pack of monument in that tank. How do you ensure? that you get a uniform mix that is consistent. In other words, you don't want to tip in that packet of monument and when it finally goes into solution is after you've been driving it across the lawn for a couple minutes. You want that to be in solution and ready to go and that's why you see a lot of guys they will take the pink mixer that attaches to the drill with the plastic paddles, shove that into the tank opening, and then stir that spray mix, you know, until it's pretty well blended. You know, that's the other thing that could be done. <laughs>
0: So I would take uh an empty container, uh you know I always had empty jugs, right, because I'm out spraying yards, and I would mix, you know, into a half a gallon, right, and shake the absolute crap out of it, then add that mm-hmm. to the tank. Would be the easiest way to to get that into solution.
4: Okay.
1: Yep. Cool. Yep. On the pressure part, um so like in the past, the more scared I am of overspray or of whatever i'm spraying like the lower pressure i'm using but i think i was hearing y'all say that some products if the pressure is too low it will hinder its its effectiveness okay what you're getting more so if you're
0: not getting the correct volume out right The, the the correct amount of diluted material in your tank if you're not getting that correct amount out then yes, it is going to. So you can try running a lower pressure, but you've got to understand that's going to affect the overall amount of material you're putting out over a given area. And thus that can hinder the performance. Or if you have a certain type of nozzle that is relying on both an injection of air and, uh, your diluted, uh, spray mix, you know, you need a certain amount of pressure to make sure that uh, reaction happens in the nozzle for you to have adequate coverage there. So, um, Yes, it's it's best to just feel what's comfortable for you in terms of what your pump speed is as you're as you're pumping and spraying. Um, And that's why it's so important just to test with water until you really feel comfortable. Like I can do this repeatedly. I can do this, you know, 800 out of 900 times. Right. That I know that over this amount of area, over this, literally this area of land, I can put down this many gallons or this many ounces or whatever it is, and then calibrate off that and then calibrate your mix ratios off of that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, before we go, it's it's about time to start winding this down and then we're going to move over to the show after the show real quick. uh, it, it, uh Okay, let's let's discuss this first. Let's talk about some fertilizer before we get out of here because uh, we have not discussed fertilizer yet. We've done a lot about about spraying and weed controls. But if you can pull up his soil test one more time, Jay Pink, we'll take a look at this.
2: So this now, is the back.
0: Um, okay, here we are in the back. All right. And do you want to compare it to front? Yeah, we can compare it to the front. It's pretty close. So, Pretty, yeah, pretty close. We have a little bit more potassium. You, I would have what what I would call sufficient potassium in the front. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not like great. You know, I'm not going to stop applying potassium with these levels. Two hundred fifty two pounds an acre, one hundred twenty five parts per million. A hundred parts per million is where I start to hit panic mode, and so I would at least want to maintain one hundred twenty five parts per million. So I would not be applying a 30 zero zero thirty six zero zero forty six zero zero twenty-one zero zero I would be applying a twenty oh ten a uh a thirteen oh six a thirty oh fifteen is where is where I would be going because for every two parts of nitrogen you apply it's gonna require one part of potassium to maintain your soil potassium level, right? So Basically half as much of what you apply in nitrogen is what the plant is removing from the soil. Quick so question. if you apply so, one, okay, go ahead. Uh,
1: the test from five years ago, and this is one thing I wanted to make sure I asked the test from five years ago, same place. Um, They, uh, the potassium and phosphorus levels are, they match. And I was wondering what i like. I know that those nutrients are supposed to be absorbed by the grass as it grows. Being that I haven't put any down, um, I'm thinking I'm doing something wrong there, uh, or my grass is not doing something it's supposed to do to absorb the nitrogen and potassium. Uh,
4: Mm.
2: Well, the other thing, too, is soil composition, right? So you talked about the, 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 the test from five years ago was when all the chicken poop was put in.
1: Yep. That's
2: right. Yeah, that that's, the, I'm not so concerned, I wouldn't think there's going to be a whole ton of potassium coming in there, but definitely phosphorus, definitely calcium, like you're going to have some high numbers there, so, I and I think that's going to be pretty stable now, plant available, that's a whole other story, and not going to go down that road right now, but I think it's more to do with how you're Soil is composed, right, and what was blended together to make that soil is more of why you're seeing flatline rates. doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the tissue levels inside your grass are depleted, low, uh, deficient, anything like that. I think it's more to do with wh- how that soil was put together before they brought it on site.
4: Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah to say uh, that the, if the grass was not using it, it would be in... I don't know. I mean, that would require, there would be something here to point to why that would be the case. Uh, I just don't, yeah, I don't I don't know how that would be possible with with the information we have in front of us right here.
1: I know we've said before that these soil test scale, the scales they give for like low versus excessive, they're not necessarily pertinent to the turf we're growing all the time. Um, Correct. But it jumped out at me. And they jumped out at me in the test. And the first time I got this whole tested. they're like, Oh, it, it's excessive. Oh, it's oh my gosh, it's excessive. I, I don't know. What should I do? And then I've learned my more since then just from in the Discord, but also talking to my grandfather. Like, no, that's not such a big deal. But I did take note of it when I got the test back this time. It's like, Look, it's in the excessive range again. How is that stand up there? But okay.
3: Uh, I disagree. I disagree with the excessive assessment because. Matt, sure. true or false. If we go into the pounds per acre to parts per million conversion, this looks more like a seventy-seven part per million phosphorus uh, range. Uh this potassium range is hundred uh you know hundred twenty five, hundred twenty six which is not over the top excessive is it that's uh no what I call like moderate. that's
0: yeah exactly exactly i would consider that moderate uh and i would say you're slightly out of the sufficient range for potassium for my own comfort level um so i would say your phosphor, phosphorus is phosphorus uh, is sufficient i would say your potassium is mediocre uh calcium looks normal right uh, and <laughs> you know it's... Is eighteen hundred parts per million of of calcium excessive? Hell no, hell no, no. Go to Texas, not at all. And <laughs> then then you'll see excessive. This is totally normal. Pretty much a, a down the road here, this is you're you're in either sufficient or the medium range for what I would consider comfortable for me. Um. On so the pH. A, 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 a pH is high, and that's why ammonium sulfate as your driving nitrogen source would be would be ideal. Um, for, for me, uh, in, in tackling this, I would be using ammonium sulfate and sulfate of potash and, uh, and just loving every minute of it.
3: I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually. And the reason why my grandpa was telling me not to, yeah. No, the reason why is because you have that special problem with centipede grass. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So that's what he says. And so, and so the thing is, is that if I want to upset or damage centipede grass, all I have to do is apply urea as my nitrogen source, and the centipede goes into decline. If I really want to make things inhospitable, I add my Potassium as muriate of potash, potassium chloride. Uh, Because, like, you know that garbage, shitty fertilizer that they sell called 15015? And it's a a centipede grass special. Do you know why that is anything but special for centipede? MLP. Angeria. MOP and urea, and the rest is a limestone filler to take up the remaining space in the bag. So in other words, if you were to even apply that quote-unquote centipede special as your Bermuda fertilizer, uh, I can almost assure you that you're going to fry that centipede, especially if you were to apply that at a half a pound of nitrogen equivalent per month. Because the reason why a lot of people can get away with 15015 on their centipede is they're only applying that one time a year. one One pound of N application from that crap per year, but then if they try to apply more than that, the chlorides build up and their centipede is dead. But in your case, you want your centipede dead, so
1: throw her down. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Sounds good. That's a one thing between me and my grandfather going back and forth about. So his his idea is that the uh, Bermuda would tolerate the the higher pH, and because we know the centipede would not, we should keep it around seven. Actually, so
3: Grandpa is right. Grandpa is right because. I would do the same thing if I didn't want centipede. And oh, one more thing. If I didn't want centipede, I'd also be jacking that phosphorus rate up way high as well. If I hated the centipede, I'd be, like I told you in the Discord, I'd go look for a fertilizer that had MAP, urea, and muriate of potash as its base composition and I'd be throwing that down whenever I wanted to fertilize the Tifgrand because the Tifgrand will tolerate it. The centipede will not.
0: <laughs> so and I would spray 15, to 15. kill out the centipede and then fertilize the Bermuda like I wanted the Bermuda to look and just not even give a second thought to the centipede would be my approach. Yeah.
1: I'm definitely going to spray it. i with really on the monument. Yep. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> That's why
0: I would then come in and light it up with that ammonium sulfate, and make that some bitch glow from outer space.
1: Yeah, I bought like four hundred pounds of the AMS um, with the intention to, sp- to spread it with- because of the um, the pH. Yep. But uh, then my grandfather's like, hold up. So yeah,
0: spray it. Kill the centipede first, then light it up. It'll be beautiful. Cool. Uh, do you have any final questions for us before we hop over to the show after the show?
1: one more real quick and it's one of the pictures in the in the deck but if you don't bring out the picture it's no big deal um so uh i always collect the clippings um i I don't like the clippings on the grass like i know there are some qualities there's some things that can make that desirable but my preference is no clippings right so um i accumulate these massive quantities of clippings and i have these huge grass piles The only time I can remember seeing grass piles like that were on the golf course, where it's like these ginormous piles of Bermuda grass clippings, and they don't really readily break down. I know that eventually, like 10, 20 years, I've seen them break down, but I mean, in a year or two, they're still sitting right where I put them. Is there anything I can do with that stuff? Is the Bermuda clippings, are they useful for anything, Uh, or is there anything I can do to help them compost more quickly? Are they
3: in this picture? You know what you do to get, yeah. I've got. You know what you do to get them. uh, The picture up, yeah. Yep. Add some urea, and also, you know, if your clippings are not decomposing, that kind of tells me that you're a little bit light on the nitrogen in the grass itself, because ideally, like what I do to my lawns is. I don't pick up cuttings. They stay. And that's even on half-inch height of cut turf. But I can assure you that in two or three weeks, those clippings are gone. You don't see them anymore. Because they've composted down and formed the, the organic matter that all of the internet, the
1: gurus are chasing after for their lawn I just want to hit this one thing so Brandon and Jay Laveau from the discord y'all just heard uh, Ray say that I was light on the nitrogen that would seem to indicate I should apply maybe more nitrogen when
0: you say you're applying pounds are you saying are you saying pounds of actual nitrogen or are you saying pounds of product
1: pounds of actual nitrogen So I'm using the percentages and calculating up how much is going down. So, I mean, two pounds every two weeks or a pound and a half every week, something like that.
5: Hmm.
3: That seems kind of a lot or almost as if the, because what I'm going to tell you is for that much nitrogen, how much
1: growth are you getting out of the grass? Because something's well, not, it's coming out of dormancy finally. Uh, I was having trouble getting it to wake up at all. But uh, may I, should, I okay. definitely got feedback oh, from the So Discord you're just saying
0: you've just been doing that right now to try and get it out of dormancy, yeah. or is that what you've been doing yep. every year up until now?
1: No, 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 just this year. I just, just this year hit it up okay. a lot.
0: Okay, okay. So yeah, that is you trying to push it out after the amaziquin. Okay. Yeah.
2: That,
0: that makes Perfect sense. Perfect sense.
3: Okay, so now that makes some sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I was like, holy hell, what is going on here? But now, oh Lord, now, okay, now I got it. Now I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, because yeah, normally you're, you're good, you can start to back that down now, too. I would say,
3: yeah, uh, okay, a lot, yeah, a lot.
0: I don't know. I because... personally, I would, I would keep going until it starts to look like it is 100% recovered. Uh, because that emasquin is, it is hard on the grass. It is really hard on it in I'll, transition. I'll say this. There is ma- some,
1: and we saw it in some of the pictures. There are some like bad spots where it's regrowing from the poana and dandelions that are picking out. I was wanting to see if I could get it to fill those in. Um,
3: okay.
0: Apply well, apply MPK instead instead of just slamming it with nitrogen only. I'm telling you, a little bit of MPK would be would be just uh, it 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 works so much faster for you going about it that like way. Peters? Uh, yeah, Peters would be a great one.
3: Mm. Or or you can go into the you know equalizer you know, by Ryan Nor or even a cheap one 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 from the department store or hardware store because that is like you know matt's secret weapon for making grass grow and by the way that's also my secret weapon for making grass grow is good old 10 10 10 or in my case uh I got it as sixteen, fifteen, fifteen, and grass not growing right there. One, one, one. Yeah, one, 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 and it is not a gimmick. Yeah, or else if you, <laughs> so if you're feeling, I, so if you're feeling real good, get that bag of stuff and
1: spray it down. Got a
2: kilo? And, got a kilo of one, one, one there?
1: Yeah. There you go. yeah so i happened up on unintentionally um samp and 10 plus from subvert are either of those applicable Mm. so
0: micronutrients and salicylic acid yes it is but not during you need actual mp and k right now that is going to be uh uh sprinkles on top of the cake right so that's what's going to give you your, your decorative view or uh, give you some some options there as, you, as you're moving into like real heat and stress, right? Especially with the salicylic acid product. Uh, <laughs> but for right now, stick to N, P, and K. And then as we yeah. start getting ready to trick it out as things are grown in and you got recovery going, then that's where you can, you can start to uh, filter those in to the program. And like I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, you've got, uh, you've got some, uh, uh, stuff coming up with, um, like 4th of July, right? You got, you're going to have a big party for 4th of July and you're looking for that just maxed out, peaked out color. That's where you go out with something like Samp would, would make a, a, a great application
1: there. Or that's like, instead uh, of an iron supplement, like we had normally use iron, I would use the Samp.
0: Yes, because it's it's going to be have a much more diverse micronutrient complex than just a liquid iron would okay. you're kind of targeting all the micronutrients there that uh play a role in photosynthesis and chlorophyll production it, I'm sorry in chlorophyll production, and that's why you're going to get such a stronger color response out of it than just iron alone
4: cool yeah, because
3: when you want color in grass you're not only looking at just iron you're looking at manganese you're looking at magnesium you're looking at sulfur copper zinc molybdenum and a little bit of boron because here's my real pisser offer when i hear these people talk about iron 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 you know make it uh, make it black, and they're not paying any attention to what else the grass needs to get that nice color that they're after. They think, I'll put on enough iron to the point where the grass barely tolerates it, where one more ounce of iron and that grass actually turns black and then brown, and by the way, Nick... There's a couple of times where I mixed an iron sulfate solution so hot that as I was packing up my sprayer, the grass first turned black right before my eyes, and then it turned brown. I instantly killed it. That's a good Thursday. (laughs) Don't be me. I don't do that anymore, but I remember 20-something years ago, I did it once or twice. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, remember now, NPK and water and sunlight and adequate temperatures are what make your grass grow. All of the iron and the supplements are what give it that little extra color above and beyond what NP and K can do. It's only a supplement. And I
0: know if if you've been a, a little th- a little bit like we have right now, we've been going through these weird kind of cold snaps where you know we've got this, yeah. uh, you know, where it's been it's been like nice, everything's starting to zoom, and then you know like this morning here it was 43 degrees, right? Exactly. And, uh, and it yeah. just it it keeps the Bermuda still wigged out. Um, you know, I'm I'm watching it right here every day in my backyard, so. Uh, that is kind of working against you right now, um, but you know, certainly now that we're mid-May, you, you know, we're on the horizon of having those temperatures where uh, all of a sudden it should you know, really, really start kicking into overdrive. And then you can start filtering the other things to have a little fun with it and find that color spectrum that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, I planted a bunch of uh, azaleas, gardenias, um, camellias, like a follow like Jim Putnam stuff. Um, and they're, they've been jacked up too. That and some weird rose stuff has been, because it's been cold and hot and cold and hot. It's even real weird with that. Plants hate yeah, the that. Been, Plant
3: hate, plants, hate, yeah. plants hate that because uh, with, the, I know, gardenias, they want it to get hot and stay that way, because all of this, uh, you know, bipolar weather will even make it so that maybe those gardenias won't bloom this year. And I've even seen it here in Hawaii, where I have one of these years where winter doesn't come out of winter, and it gets, you know, nice and warm and tropical. Guess what? The gardenias don't bloom that year.
1: Try again next year. (laughs) i tell you, I hit them with the citric acid, uh, mm-hmm. like at the roots, and they, they bloomed right out. But then we got that cold snap yesterday, oh. and like, the blooms are already browning out. It's weird.
0: Pick a couple and put them under your car seat. It's my favorite thing to do with gardenias. <laughs> okay. It smells awesome.
1: Yeah, they smell great, for sure. Man, y'all covered every, like a ton of stuff. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, we're just getting started because we're going to move on to the show after the show real quick before everybody goes. Uh, we are going to be starting a podcast called The Burn and Return, and you can check it out. You can search the Grass Factor on any of your favorite podcast mediums: Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You name it, search the Grass Factor. You're going to find it there. Uh, if you want to hear repeats of this particular show, it is going to be up. We've got uh, we are now doing that regularly where we are uploading these as podcasts. Thank you, Jay Pink, for all your help, good sir. Uh, so, like the show with Robert Palmer is already up, and then before that, with Longstress, and before that, with Ryan North, you can go there, hear all those and uh and interact that way uh unobstructed for that as well Uh, if you would like to hang out for the show after the show uh you have to become a member of the channel and you will see a link to join the discord and then over in the discord you are going to see a channel called dirty deeds and the show after the show link will be there for uh 10 minutes and 10 minutes only and then once it's deleted it is gone into the into the ethosphere and it will never be seen again there are no replays no recopies nothing else left of the show once it is gone it is gone forever all right everybody thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you on the next one